Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast, where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism, and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. This is conversation number six with Andy Kind. Uh, comedian, pro-median, preacher, um, generally nice guy, <laughs> and uh, I've just got an echo. Hold on, there we go. So I'm going to just jump right in. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a Christian, and uh, what led you into comedy. Great. So some nice, easy questions there to start off with. So yeah, hello, my name is Andy Kind, uh, and um I haven't spoken to a person in, in the flesh since the 30th of March. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> nor have I worn any trousers. <laughs> good start. Good start. Neither yeah. is the guy next to you, but hey. It feels like yeah. a hostage yeah. video. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Duke of Wellington here, he's lucky because he's, he's only a top half bust. I actually am a full person, but all of my, all oh, of my no. trousers are just hanging out on the right. Going like, where, where is he? Where do you think he's gone? Like, do you think he's dead? He must be dead. At this point, he's dead, isn't he? Um, so uh, I am. How? What was the first question? What's my story? <laughs> yeah, what's your, well, yeah, where are you from? And uh, how did you become a Christian? The general okay, two, great. Um, two Yeah, questions. so I am from... Newcastle under Lyme, which is the better of the two Newcastles um, <laughs> in the uh, in the country, and uh, I started comedy on the twenty third of January two thousand and five. So that's a long time ago now, and that's that's been my only job since. Really, I'm, I now work for a church as well, but I've never had a proper job. Um, which explains when someone meets me in person, I mean, that comes across quite clearly that this guy has never had to submit to any kind of authority because he's just <laughs> totally all over the place. So, um, yeah. And then how did I become a Christian? Well, my mum and dad are both Christians, but um, I suppose I was raised in a bit of a Christian bubble. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I simply mean that the only real positive Christian influence I had was from my parents. We, My mum decided that she wanted to serve uh, as a lay reader in an, an Anglican church um, when I was quite young. And that was in a very sleepy parochial part of the of the country. And so there wasn't what there wasn't a youth group. I didn't have a, a Christian friend really until I was 24. So um, it, apart from the influence of my parents, I was I was kind of flying blind a little bit. And um, it was all jam in Jerusalem and, you know, very nice, genuinely Christian people. But um, there wasn't anything in terms of discipleship. I hadn't heard the word apologetics um, until I was into, well into my 20s. So I'm quite a late developer, really. I made a commitment to Jesus. Um, I remember doing it at six years old and definitely meaning it, but, but also I was six. Uh, but I committed my life or recommitted my life. I started to follow Jesus at the age of 22, just after university when I'd had a, um, I hadn't really enjoyed university, but I'd, I'd basically gone off the rails and um, been a bit of a loose cannon, lost a lot of friends. 
And I remember sitting at this at the back of this sleepy Anglican church in Newcastle under Lyme at the age of 22 and just saying to God, OK, I don't know what happens next, but I know that I need you. And so that was it. There was no um, I've had amazing experiences, spiritual experiences since then. But in terms of my conversion, it's not a, it's not an amazing story. It's just a it was just a choice to follow based on um, based on past mistakes. Interesting. Uh, out of curiosity, what did you study? I, I missed that bit. Uh, modern languages, French with Italian. Nice. You're so sophisticated. Yeah. I am. I am a sophist. I'm the um, I'm the Christopher Hitchens of my flat. <laughs> small small puddle that you're part of, uh, other than a big pond. So uh, <laughs> where to go with that? So you went from languages to not having real jobs. Yeah, and and now, but being of... really good at talking about why I didn't have real, real <laughs> yeah, in several then... tongues, <laughs> and then went into comedy. Whereabouts in in that process? Um, so started comedy two thousand and five. So I had a year sort of doing some uh, just mediocre graduate jobs that we all go into because we think that's what we need to do. And then, um, yeah, 2000, so I was 20, 24, 25 when I started in comedy and uh, had not really done anything since uni, apart from become a Christian. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's very re really felt the, I was thinking, I've got a friend at the moment who has only recently become a Christian and she's like, she's hearing unbelievable stuff really prophetic stuff from the lord like her hearing is so sharp she sent me a, a passage today and which just absolutely nailed something i needed to get wisdom on and um i do think that in those because in those early days when you become a christian you tend to have a lot of really amazing experiences maybe because you're all of a sudden aware of stuff that had been hidden in plain sight and now mm. you now you're able to join the dots with the you know the spiritual realm but also because i think shortly after you become a christian and now that i work as a an evangelist and work leading a church as well i'm very aware of this in terms of trying to disciple people there is a very quick backlash and however you want to describe that whether it, you want to describe it as enemy attack or the world the flesh the devil whatever you want to describe it as you have that initial honeymoon period before there's a crash of some sort. Um, and I can't remember what the point I was making was because I, I was distracted by my own face on the screen. And <laughs> you can hide your self-view. No, but I don't it. want to. I'm a redeemed narcissist, <laughs> but I am. I am. I still but carry I think, all the cards. I'm glad you're being vulnerable because I think that's something that we all struggle with when it comes yeah. to Zoom. Is you don't look at everyone medals. else's faces, you look at your own. And it's, yeah. it's not just me. I'm looking at your faces as well. You've both got very nice faces. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you, Andy. Very nice. So help me get back onto so, narrow path. Well, you're okay. talking about got it. comedy. So I was just kind of thinking that because I listen to a lot of comedians and it strikes me as you have to be a bit weird to become a bit of a comedian because okay. you have to like it strikes me as like doing stand up or something like that because you have this part of you as a human being that wants to be loved by people 
But there's something that strikes me about when you when you someone looks into becoming going into comedy, that you have that, but you also have to acknowledge that people are just going to be like you're going to be really really rubbish at something. Yeah. And and you're going to get it's going to be awkward. People aren't going to be laughing at you, and it's going to suck until you get good at it. Because you don't know from what I've listened to, no one starts off as a great comic, even though, you know, the great comics we look at now, they didn't yeah. start off great. You know, they would right. say they sucked for years <laughs> um, and, you know, went through all these sort of, you know, experiences. But um, yeah, so I mean, what, what made you kind of be able to kind of transcend that, like deal with the wanting to be liked by people, which I think is uh, yeah. I, I don't know, the kind of psychology of that, but also dealing with the, you know, getting through those hard times before you kind of became better yeah well that's um that's amazing actually i forgot i remember what i was going to say about the um the sort of the dark ages between leaving university and, and starting comedy simply that i really felt the lord speaking to me very dramatically about going into comedy so right. um i definitely was called into comedy definitely and it was confirmed in in different places and um I'll give an example of my second ever gig. I wasn't supposed to be doing a gig. I'd done this gig down in Bath and it had gone very well. And, you know, lots of people try comedy, but most only try it once. So I think if I'd done a bad gig, first of all, I wouldn't have gone back on stage because it is terrifying. And there is a lot of shame that you can feel. As a new comic, the idea of doing badly, it's your worst fear. You dream about it. You have anxiety dreams on the run up to it. And then if it actually happens, well, okay, you know, the, the anticipation is is worse than the re the reality, but it's still horrendous. So I was really blessed that I had a, an amazing gig. Um, and then a week later, I went to another gig with a friend of mine in Stoke just to watch. And I said, I went up to the promoter, the guy running the show at, at the break and said, I do comedy and I live locally. Can I have a go at some point in the future? Um, as childlike as that. And this guy, <laughs> this guy said, well, the middle act, the guy who's supposed to be on next, is just called to say he's stuck in traffic on the M6. He's not going to make it. Do you want to go on now? And I did go on. And I had the best gig of anyone on the night. And I got loads of gigs off the back of it. And what's even more dramatic than that is that in the, in the, in the kind of post, in the 2,000 gigs I've done since then, I have never once experienced somebody not turning up when they were supposed to be there <laughs> so i remember ringing my mom saying mom this is what jesus wants me to do <laughs> and um, the, well, the line went dead i heard a bit of crying and the line went dead but that was that was fine <laughs> um remind me again dan what your follow-up question was because i'm it's like it's like the um the two ronnie sketch of mastermind isn't it that's i'm basically <laughs> asking the question before I'm answering the previous question. <laughs> so it's basically about the sort of the psychology of of yes. of, of getting into comedy, you know. Got about... it. Yeah. So you're absolutely right, and you can sort of sum it up in this: in order to do comedy, you yeah, you can't worry too much about what people think about you. But the only reason people do comedy in the first place is because they want to be liked. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. There is just that paradox and that and that tension. Um, I think I was just desperate, and I think I was just desperate. Have you seen Band of Band of Brothers? So in Band of Brothers, there's an episode where um, I think it's Lieutenant Spears, 
runs through the German lines to give a message to one of the other companies and comes back and they say, um, are you not scared? And he said, we're, we're all scared. The difference between me and you is you still think there's hope. You have to get to a point where you're so desperate. And, and the same applies and particularly applies for evangelism and, and mission. Like you have to understand you're already dead. And when I say that in terms of evangelism, I simply mean you should have died to yourself already. Mm. So the reason people don't share the gospel is not because it's not really because, oh, I don't have the techniques. It's that they're worried that they're, they're scared. Yeah. They are scared about rejection in the same way that new comedians are scared about rejection. But you have to understand, you still think there's hope there's all, that you're, you're already dead. And once you accept that, once the seed falls to the ground and dies, then actually that's when you, that's when you bear fruit. So as a comedian, I um, was just desperate enough that even if even if it didn't go really smoothly, I just thought, you know what? There's nothing else that I want to do. I definitely feel called to this, and I don't really, I don't really think there's anything else that I'm capable of doing. I'm, I'm, I'm very easily distracted and I'd done a couple of graduate jobs and just didn't feel, I just didn't feel alive in any way. But those main two things, you know, because the Bible says, doesn't it, that, that, that God will give us the desires of our hearts. And that doesn't mean whatever your flesh is crying out for, God will <laughs> deliver it like, like the genie. Mm. Um, never had a friend like Jesus. But... Um, <laughs> It does mean, I think, and this was massive revelation for me when I first became a Christian, to understand that the gifts and dreams that were, you know, the good dreams, the healthy dreams that were planted in me weren't accidental, that I'm not simply a protoplasmic sack of chemicals with a limited shelf life. I, I am that, but I'm also made in the image of God. I am, you know, dearly bought and bought with a price and stuff. And um, so to have that realisation that, God had a plan for me and his plan as bizarre as it seemed to me and the people around me was comedy and performance and the arts that that was just incredible mm -hmm. that level of intimacy that God knows me loves me and has good things for me because I I knew Christians but they were teachers or social workers or, or or nurses none of them were comedians Christians didn't do that so Hmm. Yeah. But in terms of the psychology, it is just now I would say it, it's easier now because, first of all, I'm good at what I do. And even if a gig is not easy, I'm, I still have all the all the buttons that I can press. Statistically, I know that 97 percent of the time it's going to go really well. So you lose that fear. Um but also, I think as I'm 15 years, 16 years into my Christian journey, I am much better at taking captive every thought and submitting it to Christ and, and understanding that my, my identity is not in what people think about me. You know, if you live for other people's affirmation, you'll die by their condemn condemnation. And I've, I've died a death, death of a thousand cuts. <laughs> but... Um, or a thousand heckles. Not that you really get me heckles, but... <laughs> Um, just just to pick up on something you, you said a little while ago. So you, you mentioned about um, you know, your friend. Well, you know, when you first become a Christian, you tend to have yeah. these 
um, you know, more sort of vivid, almost spiritual experiences. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, that, that resonated with me because I think, um, you know, I had very similar experiences that, you know, I came a, became a Christian out of a completely secular background, you know, kind of unorthodox. And, um, and I remember having like, very, very vivid spiritual experiences that I haven't, I'd be honest, I haven't had anything like that since but they're you know they're, they're they're kind of fused in my um you know my kind of kind of memory and what you're talking about the kind of backlash that, that you that, that, that comes as well I mean did you experience some kind of yeah the sort of backlash kind of thing after you became a Christian what, what were what were the sort of struggles as kind of associated with with that yeah that's a really good it's a really good question I I think that um I think that I, because I became a Christian in a bit of a bubble, I was also probably quite protected because I wasn't, I wasn't really a lad. I think one of the things that I, that didn't happen is that I didn't, I didn't lay down some of the old ways of behaviour. So although I was never like a big boozer, I would, I would still go out and get drunk. Um, I would still probably, I remember doing, um, I had a friend called Duncan who came to see me do comedy. And I, I early on, because you on, you only in any walk of life in any career you model the people ahead of you, don't you? You kind yeah. of you know if you're in the army you do what the you do what the NCOs do, and um, in comedy you just you have the precedent set for you and you and you work to that. So you know Jesus and Jesus said, "I only do what I see my father doing." And it's the same for all of us, but that doesn't necessarily mean spiritual fathers or biological fathers. The people above us, the people in authority above us, we we model them often when we don't really want to. So I would just I was just following the uh, the crowd, if you like, and using quite a lot of sexual material, uh, even if I wasn't really engaging in that sort of thing in real life. I was mm. I was still talking about it. And my mate Duncan said, you know what? When you say that you're a Christian on stage, everything else you say after that will reflect on Jesus, whether you want it to or not. Mm. And that just, I mean, it was admonishment and rebuke, but it was brilliant. And uh, yeah, that, that changed a lot, a lot for me really, because on the one hand, there was just this cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, I was talking about being a Christian. On the other hand, I was, you know, talking about, all the stuff that young comedians talk about really so uh it was that was a good that was a good lesson but sanctification is an amazing thing and it takes ages but yeah. it, it works it's like the keto diet yeah <laughs> except it works <laughs> so, yeah yeah that's right <laughs> except it works. so so with um with your the comedy routine and and um circuit how did you meet many other Christians on there fairly early on or was no. it all very secular? Yeah. And as all of us would, would want to say, probably the fact that something is secular doesn't make it inherently, you know, bad. No. No. I've got, um, I've got loads of friends still from those early days in, in comedy no, I, so my, my mate, who's still my best mate today, Tony Vino, he started around the same time as me and he didn't start on the circuit quite as early as me. Uh, I knew that Milton Jones and Tim Vine were 
Christians, but they were already famous. Mm-hmm. So although I have had lots of contact with them over the years since, initially they, they felt a little bit detached. Um, and I knew of Paul Carenza, who had who was actually only very new himself, but I, I knew of him. Uh, so I remember, though, being one of the... <laughs> You know that in the Great Escape, where they're at the train station and they're all kind of they're all the escaped prisoners, but they're all dressed as sort of German civilians and they're and they're eyeing each other up and just you know giving each other winks and things like that. I remember when I met Jo Enright for the first time, who has been she's an amazing comedian and she's been in a lot of uh, different sitcoms, the Job Lot and things like that. And I remember meeting her at a, at a gig in Southport and. I was talking about being a Christian and she said, are you a Christian? I was like, yes. <laughs> she said, I'm a Christian as well. And it was just amazing because I'd never met another Christian backstage at a gig before. And that was incredible. So now in 2020, I mean, there's loads of us now at different levels. There's loads of um, Jesus followers on the comedy circuit, people writing for, for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I suppose I've had an influence on that. I suppose people have, seen how visible I am and how very early on I nailed my colours to the mast and I'm probably still known it's a bit more legitimate legitimate now because I am a preacher but before I was a preacher I was still probably known as being the Christian rather than the funny man (laughs) but uh, but that's because people love to stereotype and pigeonhole so yeah there's a lot of Christians now but in those early days no it was hard it was hard and uh, it was a wing and a prayer yeah. So, so are there more? Do you think there are more Christians doing comedy, or is it that you know more of them now? Oh, there's definitely more, and there's more okay, people doing good. comedy. But so the um, yeah, the number, the overall number, and the number per capita has gone up as has gone up as well dramatically. But uh, yeah, there there weren't that many, and um, yeah, I could have counted on two hands the people back in 2005 who were doing it. And yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's, that's, that's quite a, that's quite nice. And especially, I guess, for you as well to, you know, to have had some influence probably on, on, on that as well. It's quite funny when you, when you mentioned Tim Vine and, and Milton Jones, when I thought of you, I thought you do such very different comedy <laughs> Like there's nothing, there's nothing in common between the, the three of you. I love Tim Vine, Mil- Milton Jones as well. I think the three of you appeal to kind of all aspects that I find funny uh, yeah, in yeah, different yeah. ways and and like together you like if if we if you if three of you can make one comedian i, I would just probably listen to you all the time yeah <laughs> i get that and it's interesting because they are both very um they handle their self-disclosure very well right. on stage because you don't learn very much about them on stage no and although tim is very much the same off stage as he is on stage um milton's very different whereas Although I play an exaggerated version of myself, I'm an avatar on stage. I am an avatar of me. So it is It is Andy Kind. And um, people, when they meet me off stage, they probably think, oh, you're not quite as energetic. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they think you're a totally different person. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So and, Tim- that, and that, again, has helped in terms of the preaching because, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but what's been really helpful is that i've managed to bring all the skill set from comedy into preaching there's things that have needed to change and evolve but 
the skill set transfers 100% really. Do you view that as kind of providence? I mean, kind of God sending you on that journey from, from comedy onto what you're doing now? Because, I mean, it's very difficult, I think, to develop the skills that you have uh, without doing without doing that. He definitely um, tricked me. No, he tricked me, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> and we've had words about it. But, uh, yes, no, I remember, uh, like you, Daniel, I think that, you probably, you can go through phases where you don't have what you would call those spiritual experiences, those charismatic experiences. And I think but partly it, it tends to be, I would say that there's a correspondence. When I'm really into the apologetics, that's when I have the fewest spiritual experiences, I think. Just because you're, you're sowing seeds in a, different, in a different area, aren't you? So... Um, if I'm listening to William Lay Craig, <laughs> then I'm probably not out on the streets praying for healing for people. If I'm, you know, listening to a lot of Bill Johnson or Robbie Dawkins or, or Todd White, I'm probably not looking at the modal ontological argument for God's existence. It's quite an eclectic mix, though. <laughs> it is. I know, it's, a very interesting, it's a very interesting range. But again, I think it, I think it helps. It all It's all the same. Again, it's all the same job. It all works together. Hmm. So um, that is a weird mix. I don't think I've met anyone who um, who would go from one end of the spectrum to you know from William Lane Craig. I'm um, you big big Keller fanboy as well. You like oh, huge, Tim, Tim uh, Keller? Huge fanboy. Yeah, yeah. I, I've so, yet to meet someone who doesn't like Keller. We haven't interviewed anyone who doesn't like Tim Keller. I think maybe that's the sort of threshold Kathy that we have. Kathy Keller doesn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> She rang me up today. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, that's the sort of threshold for getting on the podcast. Is, do you like the big fan Tim Keller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. It's going to be radio silence. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't all, talk to you. All, all the way to, to Bill Johnson. And, and yeah. Um, and what's interesting, about, what's interesting about Keller is that he's a Calvinist and I'm not. Right. And, um, and yeah, I don't. Sorry, I'm going to have to end this in. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I, um, I just find his entire approach really gracious and grace filled. Mm -hmm. And um, you're saying that's something Calvinists aren't known for. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. I think actually you find um, argumentative (laughs) and uh, bullish and crass people (laughs) on the whole range of the spectrum. Very different. um, it's easy to miss Kathy Newman you... in that one. Are you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're really saying, <laughs> so you're really saying our minions are going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is an interesting mix, isn't it? I, I, I got into apologetics as everybody else did through C.S. Lewis and then um, was actually part of the steering committee for the 2011 Reasonable Faith Tour. Oh, and wow. Yeah, that was one of those experiences where I thought, how am I, how am I on this committee? Like, how has this happened? And the reason it happened was because I sent William Lane Craig an email saying, would you ever come back to the UK? Hmm. And on the same day, I think he had two or three people saying, asking that same question. So they took it seriously. Um, so I um, hosted and organised the Manchester debate that he did with Peter Atkins. Um, and it was the last it was the last debate of the tour. And it was 
it was probably a draw actually in credit credit due to Peter Atkins. Um, he did a very good spoiling job. He was basically the hatchet man. He was like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. He, he was basically the sort of uh, Martin Keown figure. He just man marked William Lane Craig all the way, all the way through the debate. So um, anyway, I got really into apologetics because I really wanted to know. I really wanted to know that initially that I'd picked the right one. I'd picked the right faith because I'd had these experiences, but I was aware that Christians weren't the only people having spiritual experiences. Mm. And Christians weren't the only one trying to get to God. And so obviously that brings up questions and that, that brings up doubts and, and, and worries. And I probably went through a, a universalist stage at one point, as I think lots of people do, because you think, actually, I can't cope with the idea that there's, I just can't cope with all these strands of truth and evidence and, and all of that. Hmm. And then getting into apologetics, I did it because I was really interested in, A, knowing the truth and then being able to defend the truth. Um, and for a long time, it was just for me, it, it protected my faith and strengthened my faith. But now I do use it alongside the comedy, alongside the preaching as a means of, of, of bringing people to, to Christ. But I also love the, the whole John Wimber idea of everybody gets to play. And I remember watching Todd White uh, on YouTube for the first time where he was out on the street and seeing people healed and I remember thinking, if this is what it is, if I if this can happen, then I want it. I want to see this. Mm. I want to do this. I want the full range. And then when you read the book of Acts and you think, actually, they're doing the full range. You know, they're demolishing arguments. They're going into these places and, and they're debating. But they're also seeing people healed. raised and, and healed. And I want that as well. Because otherwise, like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. if, if, I, if everyone doesn't get to play, well... It's, that's the sort of Gnosticism, isn't it, in a sense? It, if it's only a sort of secret knowledge, which is actually how a lot of people in the Christian West live, as though they've got this secret knowledge or this divine spark. Actually, no, I want to I wanna be out there seeing God move in words and, and, in, and in power. The kingdom of God is, is a matter of power. Mm. So, yeah, I suppose... I see, I was thinking about this earlier before I, as I was planning what I might say to you guys, I, I go through phases, a bit like an actor rehearsing a play. So I will go through an apologetics phase where I'll, I'll learn as much as I can on a particular subject, and then I will administer that. So whether that is, um, you know, the fine-tuning argument or um, contrasting other religions. And then I'll, then I'll really try and hit the streets and and pray for healing and get words of knowledge and things like that. Hmm. In the same way that an actor probably can't remember the lines to the play he did two years ago, but at the time, like he was in that, he was in that zone. He was really fully embodying that. So I'm very, I'm very method. I'm very method when it comes to uh, what I do. Interesting. How's the quantum entanglement then? Is that going on? <laughs> no. You started that want... today, but it didn't, didn't quite no. get there. <laughs> no, I've been, um, when I've been reading about the Gnostics today. Uh, all right, so you got that in there. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, <laughs> well. I'm very good. That, that was great. I, wa I sometimes watch my preachers back and think, oh, I don't remember saying that. Because <laughs> I think, and it comes from comedy, my, my biggest skill 
Uh, by the way, I haven't ever quite learned how loud to talk over Zoom. I still Doing haven't right. learned that. So I'm actually talking louder than normal. But um, <laughs> but I, apologies for that. Zoom it's, adjust the, the levels. So you could probably, yeah, it might be a bit crackly for everyone else. But you'd be, right. right. This is the closest thing to a gig I've had in. Um, <laughs> it's the biggest audience I've had, apart from communion last Sunday. This is brilliant. Nice. Um, well, it's, it's us plus five others. So you're doing all right. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, yeah. Well, it might be awesome. three. Yeah. So, sorry, what was the question? Sorry, yeah, I don't know if there was one. I think it was, um, so where I was kind of going is you, you're picking these apologetics talks. So it, does that feature in your comedy sets as well then? Because I'm really ignorant and I need to watch your show after the fact of talking to you. So um, how, how do you fit those in? Like what kind of prep do you do other than reading lots about fine tuning? How does that become, <laughs> how does that become yeah. funny? Like. What, what kind of process do you do? Yeah, I remember speaking to um, David Robertson, the mad Scotsman, um, <laughs> who I'm a huge fan of, but I also think he's totally mad. And <laughs> um, and I met him, I've, I've only met him once, and I was asking, this was quite a few years ago, as I was looking to bring that apologetic stuff into comedy. And he just said, don't, um, just don't, Oh, don't undersimplify things. So just keep it nice and simple. And so my show, which I know, Dan, you've seen, you've seen the preaching version of. I have, yeah. My show, Hidden in Plain Sight, um, the full show, basically what I do is my five best bits of material. And then I designate each one of those stories with a theme. So there's a, there's a story about being trapped. So I use that as freedom. There's a story about my second daughter being born so I use that as unconditional love and I have these five things and then I say look these five things are if you like minimal facts these are things that you know to be true whatever your will you you know you were wired for for purpose you know you desire freedom you know you want to be loved unconditionally you know that some things are objectively wrong you know that people have inherent value and, you know, you're talking specifically to the people in front of you. And then you're just building a case. So it's sort of somewhere between inductive and abductive reasoning. You're saying, look, we've told these stories. And here are these things that these stories bring out. And then what makes the best sense of these things that we've talked about? These are your, if you like, these are your little stories. So in the preaching version of Hidden in Plain Sight is called Big Story, Little Story where I talk about the things that whatever else is true out there, there's stuff that is definitely true for you and in you that you definitely believe. So that's your little story. And I say, we're looking for a, a big story that makes the best sense of your little story. So again, you, I, I just love the, I just love the, it's a William Lane Craig phrase. We're only making modest claims. We're only, we're simply saying what makes the, the best sense. And in, in that I'm very influenced by Gary Habermas with his arguments for the resurrection because he, he, he simply says, here are the four facts that even the most skeptical of scholars, New Testament scholars, will agree on. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we'll just use those facts. Or he does it with the, the books of the New Testament, doesn't he? So um, the letters of the New Testament, there's, there's seven 
there's only seven of the New Testament letters that the most skeptical scholars will say are authentic. And Habermas says, well, okay, fine. I can still use those to show that the resurrection and Jesus is still the best explanation of the stuff that, that's in there, that the resurrection of, of, of Jesus is the best explanation. And I just love that approach because it's non-confrontational. It, um, it uses the opposition's weight against them, if you like. Mm-hmm. And it also avoids kind of meandering off into weird by conversations about angels and healing yeah you know, I, I mean I, I talked about healing i love seeing people heal but i do not use stories of healing to persuade people of the truth of the gospel mm-hmm. i go for what that i ask them what is it that you believe to be true you tell me what's true mm-hmm. tell me what you know is true and i'll use that to show you that jesus makes the most sense of that so again there's nothing new under the sun well you know we're yep. standing on the shoulders of the, the great apologists but it's really exciting to be able to bring that into a into a comedy show mm. but in terms of so just to answer the question phil i i don't try and make apologetics funny i try and segue from comedy into the apologetics interesting it, okay it's good yeah. I, I, I like how you do that and um the, uh, the, uh, and i'm not sure if you're aware there's a christian philosopher called c stephen evans and he, he he very much takes this approach he talks about these things as natural signs and it's it's very much as you were talking i was kind of thinking it sounds very much like what he does in terms of like uh in terms of like natural theology he sees natural theology is mm. um as not as a way of well, it can show evidence for god but its primary purpose is kind of to attack naturalism yeah, yeah. so he kind of says look you know here are these he, here are these you know five natural signs that that and actually, Christianity, well, well, the fact that God exists is the best explanations of the things we know are true. So yeah. you, like you said, you appeal to the things we all agree are true. And it's trying to actually sort of raise some doubt um, on, on, you know, skeptics, agnostics, atheists. That actually, yeah. the things they already know are not well explained by naturalism, um, which I think is quite a, a nice way of doing it because it is it's not confrontational and you're appealing you're not yeah. introducing any new knowledge. You're basically yeah. trying to show there's a better interpretation of what you already know, and it's yeah. lost, you know, and it's God. Mm. Um, so what I would say is, when I, when I'm when I'm doing this show, when I'm preaching, I would say, I don't think you're wrong. I think you're right. <laughs> the mm. things that you believe are mm. right. Mm. The thing that's wrong is your worldview, because your worldview doesn't allow for the things that you know are right. Yeah. Yeah. So get a better one. Yeah. I, I, and I'm, deliber- I'm deliberately kind of bullish at that point. But yeah. Yeah. again, it's you know we want like to <laughs> we want to we want to affirm the person while mm. still being able to say the argument is wrong. And I know you've talked to to Glenn, and I think Glenn is is brilliant at that sort of approach. He would take that approach of look, there's a there's a better story, mm. there's a better story. And I was talking to um, someone today. Um, about the whole um, pride parade and what how we approach that as Christians. Mm. And again, it, you get a lot of people who are just very binary and um, very sort of tribal. But I think an, an missionally, the best approach to take is to say, look, these people who are celebrating pride, if it's a choice between pride and shame, 
well, let's celebrate pride. That's fine. But we celebrate pride in the way that we would celebrate passing a driving theory test. It's good, but it's not the big one. It's not the end of the story. So, yeah, pride is better than shame, but freedom in Christ is better than pride. So I want to say to the to these to my friends and I was saying to my friend today, it's great that we can stand with people and say, yeah, you know what? You are inherently valuable. And the things that the things that your movement um, believed to be true, that love should win, that people are inherently valuable, that um, that freedom is a thing that we should go after. Absolutely. We agree. And again, I want to say, let me give you the best story mm. where these things find their fullness. These things find their fullness. So again, it's not I'm right and you're wrong. It's that, you know, what you're experiencing now, it's even better. It's mm. even better than that. And that's why um, I'll probably never preach in the States. <laughs> I, I think there's, that's a really important aspect. I wrote a, a blog piece on, on that f- while wrestling with the whole BLM movement, seeing Christians denounce BLM all over the place. And it's very much the language go through their statement. Yeah, there's things Christians can disagree with, but what what are the 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 key buzzwords that are actually we, we can act, look at them in, in biblical ways and go actually it makes better sense of these words to go through the, the Christian worldview. You want liberation, well, you're gonna have full liberation and justice and all of that in the fullest sense of the words, not just the way that you're using them here in this movement um and and i think well as you say we're building on the shoulders of giants paul does that in uh in acts i can never remember which chapter but the arapocus yeah there you go and look you've got all these gods you're really religious like he compliments their religiosity and then says look you've got this unknown god let me tell you about it Acts 17 isn't it yeah Uh, Yeah. if that's that's a framework is is that whole story let's get excited about this story that we have that makes the best sense of the world and uh i I find a lot of times engaging with certain strands of christianity and the evangelism technique isn't a story as much as your yeah there's there's no middle ground it's your you well i mean you can say this i guess but you're dead in your sins is the first thing Mm. that comes out of their mouth you're like well that's not very nice (laughs) yeah because and it's true can, but it's, it's yeah it's out. true and also meaningless yeah because that so on the m56 on the way from manchester to chester there is a uh, a billboard or there was i don't live there anymore that that said the wages of sin is death now i agree with that that's mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. i agree it's also meaningless because it doesn't resonate with anybody yeah. what do you mean the wages of sin what like, is sin yeah. what is sin and like why are we being paid in wages? Like I just get my PAYE at the end of the month. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't relate. And I think this is where we've got to be able to show some nuance. I just love a bit of nuance. And it's a, good word. Would, I, I, it's a great word. And I did a French degree, so I know where it comes from, but um, <laughs> you know, to be able to say that something is, is true but, and not that we change the truth of the gospel, but we have to find ways of filtering the truth of the gospel into our culture and society. And filtering doesn't mean diffusing. It just means 
filtering so that the people who do have ears to hear can understand what it is that, that they're hearing. And, you know, that you do, you would speak to people, you do speak to people who would say, oh, no, well, no, we just give the gospel, we give the gospel. Yeah, yeah, I know we give the gospel, but again, within the New Testament, as you just mentioned in Paul, Paul didn't just come up and say, you guys are idiots and, um, you know, you've got to all become Christians. Even when he was um, before Agrippa in Acts 27, Acts 26, he says, he talks about, you know, the history of the Jews. And he says, I, I'm confident that the king knows what I'm talking about because it hasn't been done in a corner. And so it's that approach again, it's pointing, pointing to what you already know and saying the trajectory from what you know is towards Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to be too um, uh, kind of bullish at all, but I do, I do find it frustrating when, and it's not even that I have a problem with people who are overly conservative or overly liberal. I just love nuance. I just want some nuance. <laughs> it's so I, want, I want things to yeah. be able to be held in tension yeah. because the Bible is full of paradoxes and they mm. do work. They do work together. Yeah. There, there is something about the middle road um, yeah. and, and trying to, Trying Indeed. to take. There's only two roads in the yeah. gospel, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> but there is changing the gospel. <laughs> yeah. End meeting for all. Yeah. Over. <laughs> Cut his mic. Um, get out. Get out. But there's something about taking taking the best from both sides, you know, because yeah. I think I, I you know, I, I have some sort of conservative gene. You know, I am by nature conservative, uh, not Tory but conservative in the sense that, <laughs> to clarify. Um, you know, in terms of my, just the way I perceive the world. Yeah. But I realise that that's quite unhelpful because the way I approach, I naturally approach certain issues completely alienates 50%. In fact, because I'm in London, probably like mm. 90% of people. And so it's trying to say, well, how, how, how can I communicate what I think with the language of someone who is more li liberal, you know, yeah. more, more sort of left, left wing, maybe politically. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's in that nuance, it's trying to say, actually, no, even though I, I, I don't think like that, I can see value in mm. seeing the world through that lens. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's not always reciprocated, but I think mm. it's, um, you know, it is in that middle road, that nuance, trying to take the best from you, actually, and trying to see faults in your own thinking as well. I was actually yeah. thinking, okay, I can see, yeah, this is good about, but actually, because I view the world like this, there's also a weakness. Actually, I, I emphasize this issue to the detriment of this, yeah. whereas on the other side, they do the opposite. And so we're mm. just completely on, 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 a, on a different spectrum. Yeah. Um, so... With, with yeah, I, I agree with you. Big fan of nuance, based. That was a long way yeah, of saying we, we, we all, I like nuance. We all like nuance. And I, just a, the the point that you made earlier, just to repeat it because I think it's so valuable, is that point where you're like, I ask where people are at before I tell. And Tim yeah. Keller is great at doing that, sort of figuring out the culture. Right, who am I actually speaking to? Okay, here's here's the story, and I. I I know that there are so many people that want to be evangelists and are doing their best to evangelize, but they go, here's the truth prepackaged. Mm -hmm. 
I've I figured this story. Sin happened. We we need a savior. Otherwise, we're going to hell. Uh, Jesus died, took our punishment. You can be alive in Him. Off we go. And that's all true. Yeah. <laughs> but who's asking those questions? And yeah. there's more to uh, Jesus's death and heaven and hell. And and figuring out actually it, Jesus's death and his the life we have in Him meets all the range of desires. Yeah in so many more ways than your innate instinct to fulfill those desires does. And uh, there's um, a couple of people figuring this out. Peter Dre, I think his name is from UCCF, is working on, he did a presentation recently on the different desires and the way that Christ fulfills them. And uh, it's just so important to, to look at that and uh, recognize that our culture in the West is kind of limited <laughs> to, to certain ideas, at least, our, our culture in Western Christianity, I should say, because our, I think our culture is moving on in different areas where we're still clinging on to this one way of telling the story. Yeah. Um, so to kind of lead from that, how do you, because I'm guessing you go into a comedy set, you can't exactly from the off ask your audience, what do you believe? Like, how, how do you prepare to like figure out your audience when yeah. you're doing the same set in different audiences, I guess? Yeah, so the if I'm in a comedy club and I'll just do I'll just do comedy, and um, so I won't try and preach because I don't really want to get put in a wicker man, so I won't I won't do that. But um, if I'm just doing a comedy club, then actually my my critical witness is backstage with the other nice. comedians. I I, um, I see I see what you did there. That was really yeah nice. yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah again, and I can crop it out later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have a sip of tea while you celebrate that. <laughs> I'm Can glad I noticed. It shows yeah. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but, um, I just completely derailed you. Carry on. <laughs> no, it's fine. My Hidden in Plain Sight show is is exclusively done to mixed audiences, but within a church environment. So you basically want a um, a critical mass um, of Christians. You probably want sort of 55 percent to 60 percent Christians, 40 percent guests. Because that way, you know that if it turns into a rumble, you're probably okay. <laughs> uh, and and again, half, just over half. It's all about a tipping point. Everything's about a tipping point. If you get just over, if you get sixty percent of the audience laughing, well, thirty of the remaining forty will start laughing as well. And ten percent of an audience not laughing is not really noticeable. Not that it ever happens at my gigs, of course, obviously, because because uh, I'm ace. But um, <laughs> uh, but yes, I my hidden in plain sight show is done exclusively within church settings, and it will be set out like a comedy club. And I'll still do the the comedy, and I'll still build the relationship um, because, as you said, Phil, some some people take the approach of, well, this is the truth. Yeah, but the truth is ultimately personal. Truth is ultimately personal. And in the beginning was the word. So story itself is wired into the universe. And so when I'm taking to the stage, I'm not really interested in giving a, a series of facts because covenant always overrides commandments. Covenant always overrides commandments. You will be faithful to the person that you love the most. And for most people in our society, that person is me. 
or that person is us. Not not me. Not you personally. Can't. The individual. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't talk to my wife. Yeah. Well, she does follow me on Instagram. She um, does. So. She's a big fan. Yeah. There so um, yeah. So, um, but you know what I mean. You will be faithful to the person that you love the most. So, if you're a Christian, for instance, and you believe all of the rules and the guidelines and you know the ramifications in the bible but really the person you love the most is you at some point you will break away from jesus's commands because unless you love him and have that personal relationship with him then you will make yourself the god of your life the king or queen of your life and the covenant you have with yourself will override any commandments because they will simply seem like health and safety guidelines. They will simply seem like a line of best fit through mm. morality. So the, the point is that it, it's personal. We are supposed to have a personal relationship with God because God is personal. The Trinity is, is interpersonal. And so when I'm on stage, I, my aim is to build a personal relationship with the audience. And I do that through banter, through chatting, through the story. So when we get to the when we get to the the crunch, when we get to the actual gospel message, it feels like a friend sharing his truth, if you like. And I mm. I'm not really Ooh. a huge postmodern not modernism <laughs> fan. So I <laughs> yeah end meeting for all. Um, but um, conversation over you know we can't yeah. have that <laughs> but i just mean in terms of the way it Got comes across mm-hmm. so it just becomes much more palatable yeah. rather yeah. than here is a stranger trying to you know impugn me with like objectivism mm. and so that's that's the approach that i that i i take i try to build a relationship with somebody. When you laugh with somebody, it becomes psychologically impossible to hate them. <laughs> and so that's what I'm trying to do. And um, when you build common ground through laughter, you can build stuff on that. So the comedy bit is all about building a, a, a common ground um, so that they don't hate me. But also when the mouth is open for laughter, you can shove in a bit of food for thought as well. And that, <laughs> That's the approach I take. Yeah. You, you, you do do, uh, you know, because um, I've definitely, maybe I've heard you twice, definitely once, but definitely I, I, once. Definitely once um, but I thought you did such a great job of it because I think my sort of natural disposition is to assume, a, again, I don't know how, to, how you think of yourself, either a Christian who is a comedian or a Christian comedian, the first um, one. The first one. And, um, and I, my, my base assumption is that they're rubbish. But because I knew you, I knew you weren't. But, yeah. but generally, if someone says, oh, we've got a Christian uh, comedian coming, I'm a bit like, oh, it's going to be like dad really jokes. It's going to be rubbish. I'm not going to invite anyone because I'll be yeah, ashamed. Yeah. Do you, so in light of that, um, having heard you, I thought, you, you know, you did it great. I mean, what I liked about what you did is that um, like the way you engaged with the audience but also, I, I you know, I I appreciate how there's sort of a line, you know, within a within a church, and it's and you and you get very close to where the line is, and I really enjoyed mm. that. Is you because it, 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 it was it was a little bit awkward, but fun. 
as well yeah because 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 you know it's always the intentional like you know you know there's this line and yeah. you, you never go over it but you get you get so close <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. just it's so it's so beautiful to watch and i love that kind of like awkward human just thinking oh, i bet but they think he's going to say that or he's going to he's alluding to that yeah, yeah. And it just it, it's great but then and, and what you want to do in those situations again every church gig is different and, and the one i did I did two gigs. I don't think, I think your wife was at the first one and you were at the second one, mate. Yes, I don't think yeah. you were at the first one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and what, so at that church, it was obviously a lot of 20s, 30s with, with a, a, a wider spread as well, but it was the key demographic with the 20s, 30s. And you can, because they understand comedic nuance better, they're not just looking for set up punchline, set up punchline. They, they understand surrealism. They understand sort of that post-irony that became very popular in, in the noughties through people like Ricky Gervais. So you can, you can take it further with them before they get, they get worried. Um, whereas with, yeah, sort of the older generation, um, they, they do worry more because they get fearful that you're going to say, something and it's not that they're prudes it's just that yeah, they yeah. don't know what's happening um and so the first 10 minutes of a show is simply working out where those lines are mm. where are the boundaries so that you can go right up to the boundaries and then bring it back it, i think the environment must shape the expectations as well because i think if you if you're a christian who goes to a comedy club you know that that line if we're being honest is different you know, no, you're willing. You're willing to listen to things that, yeah. if it was, if you said it in the church, would wouldn't be accept. You know, it, it would be back. yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, so it's. I think you know, you, you do attune yourself to the to the environment you're in. So within a church, yeah. it is it is different. But I, I often wondered, and it got me thinking, is so when you when you go to a church the first time, when you go back, do you are they usually busier? because i because yeah. I, I would assume because i'd say i'd go because I, I might be someone i'd be like i'd go and listen i think actually no he's solid i'll yeah, tell yeah. you know a b and c d mm -hmm. let's invite you to this one because i know you i know it's yeah. going to be good yeah almost in almost invariably the second time round is is more full um and it's one of those things i've just had to like nail to the cross a little bit because after 15 years it hasn't changed it doesn't you know it was the same in 2007 where people would come up at the end and say, oh, if I'd known it was going to be that good, I would have invited people. It's, even though I'm way better than I was in 2007, the gigs don't change. The gigs are the no. same. And you get, just get to the point where you think, well, look, it is what it is, and I'm here to have fun. Interestingly, I've never really thought about this before, but it, I think when, when people go to a comedy night in a church they're expecting the comedian to come out and be hi guys oh it's really great to see you oh god bless you for coming we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight and uh, isn't it funny when you're washed in the blood of the lamb and stuff like that uh, just really weird che yeah, cheesy yeah. stuff yeah um where so when i'm in a church when i'm doing a church gig and i didn't do i didn't do quite this when i was with you because a few years ago now but what i started doing more recently is i will come out and i will just say Okay, so yeah, welcome. Um, it's great that you're here. Thanks for being here. This is going to be really good. Um, you don't need to look scared. Some of you look a bit. So you don't. I'm really good at this. I'm honestly. I'm really. You don't need to worry. Don't laugh. I'm really good at this. It's going to be brilliant. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And I'll, I'll just be quite stern with them, only for a little bit, because what that does 
particularly for the guests, it, it breaks that expectation of he's going to be really cheesy. Because yeah. all of a sudden, here's this skinhead <laughs> who's come out and like he's just owning the stage. He hasn't been funny yet, but he knows he knows what he's doing up there. Yeah. He looks like he belongs there. And so that relax that relaxes the non-Christians, which relaxes the Christians, mm -hmm. and then you can be funny. And then you do have to be very quickly funny after that. So um, <laughs> yeah, if you're not I funny, then it's just one, I can only think of one occasion where that has not worked. Um, <laughs> Tell us about that is, one occasion. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, why well, just um, I just I think I went too I went in too aggressive. They were so scared. <laughs> you will find me funny. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I found them in cocoons at the end of the gig. They were just sort of <laughs> just rocking. Did, did whereas, whereas, if I'm okay. doing a um, a comedy club, I actually be more like the expectation of a Christian because yeah. I'm usually hosting the gig. And in that case, I want people. I know that you've got very. I know there's probably three quite aggressive um, street smart comedians coming up. So my job is to is to put the audience at their ease and, and it's almost the flip you, you put them at the ease not by going in aggressively but by saying hey guys just you're just so welcome tonight you're really welcome tonight we're gonna have a really nice time so i i i take the um i go against the grain in both of those situations it's uh it's an upside down kingdom could you could you tell us about your worst gig yes oh you want me to now yeah uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah um like what yes. constitutes a bad gig is it just like I mean, is it just people not laughing or is it like a bad you, you, it, like people laugh, but you, you know, it didn't go as well as it could have. Like just what is, what is it? What, the one you yeah. consider your worst gig might yeah. be different to what someone else might think. And I think it's very easy to feel dissatisfied with a, with a gig um, in, in different ways. So I'm the two gigs I did for um, that church where I met you, Dan, um, the second one, which you were, at, I enjoyed much more than the first. Right. one and and that was really because they both went well they both went very well but i felt like the first one was a bit flat and i don't think that was anyone's fault but i just found it difficult to generate energy whereas at the second one i didn't find it di uh, difficult to generate the energy in the room for for me a, a a disappointing gig is where the audience never quite come with me to the full degree where they they enjoy it, but they never really come along for the ride. And so when you get to the end of the show, and my, my show is increasingly long stories. So if you haven't got them by the time you're doing some of the long stories, you're not, you're basically, it, 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 it's like running up a hill uh, in hot weather. So um, hmm. that's difficult. But a bad gig, I suppose, a, a bad gig is where I've been less than good. And that that gig can still go well, but I might have done it badly. And invariably, that is if I have not prepared. If I've, and I don't mean written jokes, because it's, I know the set most of the time. I mean, I don't now, I don't remember what it's like to be on stage. I can't, I can't, I'm, to, I'm not totally long. convinced that I'm the person you want to be talking to. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like uh, I'm like Christian Bale in Empire of the Sun. I can't remember what my parents look like, let alone what, to, what it means to be a comedian. What a sad movie. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, you made me movie. laugh. Perfect comedy. <laughs> I don't know what but, to do with myself. <laughs> yeah, so there's, 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 there's two ways of, of gauging a gig. Your own performance and then 
the crowd's performance. And some people want to say, um, you know, if you're funny, you're funny, and a, a, and a bad workman never blames his tools. And that's true to a degree. You can't go around blaming audiences all the time, but you can have bad audiences, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can have difficult gigs that are difficult regardless of what you try and do. It's If it's the case that all comedians are equally funny at all times, under any circumstance, if there's no context, if there's no nuance, then I could go up to a bus station now, start telling jokes and have people in fits of laughter. But that wouldn't happen because the context is wrong. And the, the difficult thing about doing church gigs is that although most of the time they nail it, you know when you step into the venue how much effort they've put into that being a comedy night. Mm. Does it feel like it's a comedy night or does it feel like you're underdressed and you're going to be standing on the chancel steps and they've got six members of the mother's union. I mean, there isn't, there isn't any redeemable feature about something like that. You, that is never going to be a good gig. So yeah, I, I judge my own performance often quite harshly. And then I judge the, um, the gig in terms of the context of what was possible. So I talk about a glass ceiling and most you know, the most, most gigs are, are out of 10. So you get, you can get 10, but some audits, some churches you go into or some gigs anywhere, really. It's not just churches. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to defame the church circuit, but you go into some venues and you know that the most you can do is seven out of 10, that the right. best you can get is seven out of 10. That's the best the gig can be. And that's difficult because if you've got guests, um, for instance, if if, I, if you guys weren't Christians and I saw you in an audience, like you would be the people I would be aiming the show at. So like here are young, youngish men, guests, <laughs> and and I want to impress them. These are the people I'm going at. If you are surrounded by a load of retired Anglicans, or probably actually Anglicans are quite free. Can you retire from being an Anglican? No, you can't. But you can retire from a job and then become a professional Anglican. But let's just say, <laughs> let's just say retired religious people, then they're not going to enjoy the show. And so you guys aren't going to enjoy the show mm. because you're going to be kind of suffocated by this apathy. So anyway, there's lots of ways of looking at a gig. But yeah, most gigs are great. Have you ever Some turned are up? Hard. Some are hard. And, and the worst ever, the worst ever. I will tell you about the worst ever, actually. Come and, on. Um, go on. Go on. And, I, and this is, yeah, my voice has gone slightly squeaky because yeah. I'm nervous about yeah. it. Because <laughs> uh, I've just like... remembered it. So when people ask me on, on stage, what's your worst gig? I do, I do a jokey one, but I'll tell you the real one. The real one was the summer of 2015. So it was only five years ago. Wow. And it was at the One event in Lincoln, which is a really great Christian festival. And... Um, I'd done. Is it the only green... event? Sorry, I, I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't the only event in Lincoln. They had others. They just called it the one event. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. that was that was That's right. Just that was terrible. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just, just leave it to the <laughs> professional. <laughs> well, you've Phil, you've created the sort of atmosphere that I created on the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... <laughs> make people feel welcome in the in the, in yeah. the experience, you know. So. It was a really weird thing because I'd done 
Greenbelt earlier on that day and absolutely nailed it. I'd done an afternoon show and nailed it. And then I drove to Lincoln and I performed better than I had at Greenbelt to almost no laughter, mm. almost no laughter. And it was a big crowd. And the reason this was the worst event ever, the worst gig ever, was because I couldn't understand why it was happening. The, the, the bad gigs tend to be bad gigs before you ever get on stage. You can kind of call what the bad gigs are. Um, and similar with good gigs, really, mm. um, or with the great gigs. You know a great gig before you get on stage and a terrible gig. But this one just totally threw me. And, and I just wasn't ready for it. They laughed a little bit at first. And then they just stopped laughing and, and it threw me and I looked thrown and I almost never looked thrown. Um, but I looked thrown and I learned after the fact that they just had a really miserable weekend of weather. So it was the, it was the bank holiday Monday night and it was 10 o'clock on the evening and they were all going home and they were just knackered, but it was still a terrible gig mm. and no one, no one. And this is the thing. Audiences don't take context into account. This is a really interesting thing about the psychology of comedy. An audience will not take context into account. In the same way that you know, if you're sitting in the, in the grandstand of a uh, a football a football pitch and you've got someone taking free kicks uh, just before dusk, and then the same person taking free kicks just after dusk, where the light is not as good. The, the person watching will not take that into account. How many free kicks did he score? Same mm. person might, let's say he gets nine out of 10 and then five out of 10. The person in the, in the grandstand is leaving thinking, oh, he, he's not as good. He's not as good anymore. Mm. They don't take context into account. It's the same with comedy audiences. So no one was leaving that gig thinking, well, in fairness, we're all a little bit tired and we've had a miserable weekend. They will simply think, he didn't make us laugh. And it's true. I really didn't make them laugh. But that was so weird because it's it's the most inexplicable bad gig. Because even if I wasn't on good form, um, and actually I think that the summer of 2015 was probably the best, up until the summer of last year, was the best I'd ever been. And then I dropped off a bit and I, it took me a while to, to get back up. But um, it was so inexplicable because even if, I was not really on form. I should have had enough jokes and tricks to, to get something from them. And it, it was like getting blood from a stone. And it wasn't their fault. Like, again, this is where I wouldn't blame the audience. Yeah. The audience. But I wouldn't blame myself either. It's just the context didn't allow for what I wanted to, to happen. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't have nightmares about that anymore. But I, 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 I had shell shock, actually. I had a sort of very low level PTSD and it took me six months. I remember doing a gig that December in Burnley with a friend of mine called Mark. And he said, you, you, you got your joy back tonight. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I've got my right. joy back. Cause I'd lost it. Like I, I was turning up to gigs petrified mm. because all of a sudden I thought, I don't know how to judge whether this no is going to go well or yeah, not. That's really interesting. It's scary. Yeah. So, We've uh, gone for a, an hour and haven't really seen, like, discussed at all how the connection between comedian and preacher mixes. So I'm I'm intrigued with just as you transition because you're doing more preaching now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So 
as you transition to being a preacher, what did you take from comedian being a comedian and what have you put into preaching? Uh, let, well, let's start there. What, what are the key things of a, being a comedian that you think help preaching? Yeah. So Augustine said that preaching should do three things primarily uh, probare, delectare and flectare. I don't speak I don't speak Latin. So uh, but I can tell you what those things mean. So probare is to instruct and to prove. Um, delectare is to rivet and delight, which I think is a really interesting mm. one. And mm. flectare uh, is to stir and move to action. Now, most preaching that we might have seen, it tends to just be number one, probare to instruct and prove. And sometimes you might get flectere to stir and move to action. But how many times, the rhetorical question, how many times have we been listening to a preach which has riveted and delighted us? Like, not loads, not loads. And so for me, that was really reassuring that, that oh, this is not, you know, this is not sort of Tim Keller saying this. It isn't a Tim Keller book, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's actually. I Augustine. thought you'd been reading Augustine. Uh, you, you didn't have to. It sounded like Keller, so it made sense. Smoke and, smoke and mirrors, mate. Smoke <laughs> and mirrors. <laughs> so I think the, when I read that, I was like, okay, yeah, so it is okay. It's okay to delight people when preaching. Mm. It is okay to have them riveted. It is okay to engage the intellect and the emotions. And maybe it's more appropriate to say, or more accurate to say, that preachers major on either the intellectual or the emotional, which is why people get accused of just giving motivational talks, or some preachers can just be accused of, of being dull and, and boring. And I'm not thinking of anyone in, in, in particular, you know, I have huge respect for anyone doing it. But for me, I want to be able to do all three. And I'm better at the second one. I'm better at riveting and delighting than I am at instructing and proving. Um, although, yeah, I think all my all my skill set in an ideal world potentially it makes up those those three things. So when I started doing preaching. When I preached for the first time, I just used my three best bits of material and put some Jesus around it, some Jesus coughs and wool. And I was quite, what I've learned looking back now, I was quite crass. <laughs> the, the way I spoke was quite crass because on stage as a comedian, you can be crass. You, you are allowed to be the alpha male. You are supposed to self-elevate. Comedy is about self-elevation. The gospel is about self-denial. Preaching is about self-denial. To a degree, there's, a, there's an aspect to which you have to get out of the way and let, and let God do what God wants to do. So, um, you know, you are, not the, you are not the star of the preach, whereas you are the star of the comedy show. So mm. I brought over all my skill set. And, and I simply mean by skill set, um, being able to work without notes, being able to um, respond on the spot so not being thrown by distractions, being able to read body language and control your own body language, being able to bring in 
intonation and nuance and we've used the word nuance so much but you know the the different affectations being able to change pace and change tone and and control the mood and control the energy in the room uh which most preachers i don't think i think preachers do do it but i don't think they necessarily know yeah. how they're doing it yeah yeah so that's what i brought over but what i also brought over was this sort of slightly narcissistic bolshy um domineering side to it and that's had to be massively softened that's had to really be um challenged but i've got a couple of close friends who kind of really helped me on my journey and particularly well certainly in those early days i'd have conversations where they (laughs) they basically just say mate that was (laughs) You shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful to have that kind of person around you, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just the um, the attitude. So I remember, actually, go- doing a gig. No, doing a preach in um, a gig's a gig. Doing a, a preach in Bedford, where I talked about how someone I knew was a Christian in the same way that David Cameron was a Christian. You know, he had British values. And I would never think of doing anything like that now because it's so politicised, not intentionally. Mm. Yeah. But this is one of the examples. You say that as a comedian and no one's bothered because it's funny, it's lighthearted. You say it in a preach, all of a sudden, what's he saying? What's, yeah. he tra- what's the point he's making? You know, people are looking, they're not looking for the jokes when you're preaching, they're looking for the point. And they're yeah. looking for the heart as well. They're looking for the heart. Yeah. So you can still be alpha. You can still be alpha as a preacher but you have to be a crucified alpha male and you have to, you have to be a redeemed narcissist. So that's been, that's been the journey really as I've moved into preaching and it's not even, I do, I I don't try to be funny as much when I'm preaching anymore, but that that's just because I don't feel like a fraud in the same way. When I started preaching, I felt such such a fraud. Um, And, and now I don't. And so the, the comedy comes naturally out of who I am. It comes organically out of who I am. But I'm not trying to force the comedy when I'm, when I'm preaching. And when I'm preaching for my own church, Redeemer King in Chesterfield, uh, I, I'm almost never using comedy because they don't know me as the comedian. Mm. None, none of them have ever seen me do a gig. I've been there for nearly two years. None of them have ever seen me do a gig. So you just, you just play to the people. You play to the crowd, don't you? You play to the crowd. There's a, there's a phrase linked to the Edinburgh Festival where you know you play the audience if one person comes to the show and they want the show to go ahead you do the show so you, you play to the crowd so what what's your role in the church you talked about yourself as a preacher an evangelist i know you is it a promedian i might have made that up do you call yourself that's the comp that's the compound noun that i invented yeah i like i like i like it i like i like people that create terms so yeah. um what so what, what is it you're doing in the church now and do you do you not do comedy anymore now I do do comedy. Um, So I am on leadership at Redeemer King. Uh, It's a church run by Carl Beach, who's uh, an amazing evangelist. And um, heard of him. Yeah, head of Christian Vision for Men, big men's ministry. Oh, yeah. He's the senior pastor. And then I'm the evangelist. So I do two days a week. uh, And sort of here, Carl and I interchange the preaching. So we're doing sort of one week on, one week off during lockdown which is exhausting, but that's another story. Mm. And then um, 
so I just lead, I oversee the mission really. So we do stuff on the streets and we do, I run alpha and um, try and instill some gospel content into all the different ministries that the church runs. And then at the weekends though, I'm still doing, I'm still doing comedy and I'm still doing preaching elsewhere if I'm not at Redeemer King. So my ideal scenario is a kind of Saturday night, Sunday morning somewhere where I'll do a Mm. comedy night on the Saturday night, just comedy, a little bit of an interview. And then on the Sunday morning, I'll come and I'll preach. I'll maybe do the preaching version of Hidden in Plain Sight. And um, in some cases, the people who've been guests on the Saturday will come back on the Sunday. And that's that's a good opportunity for people to, to do that. So I, I am primarily a preacher. I identify as a preacher primarily. But, um, but just because it's easier that way now to not be called Christian comedian. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and ironically, I'm actually closest to being Christian comedian than I ever have been because I am now preaching and and mm. doing a bit of comedy. But um, I, I'm a comedian is a, is a is a handy. Uh, it's just a handy moniker because it stops. It's quite interesting, and it, it's just a compound noun of those two things. I am both a preacher and a comedian. I am I am fully both of those things. I have two natures, and. Um, and I enjoy I enjoy both of them and I can do either of them individually. But the, the dream and, and what I'm trying to go for more and more is to merge them together, because I don't think. I just don't think I th- I don't know what I can do, really, but if I can get it right. I think it's potential that I could I could produce a type of. Art or performance that we don't really have you know we've got you've got we've got amazing communicators in the church and we've got some brilliant comedians Hmm. but we don't have many people if any who are able and willing and desirous to do those things simultaneously professionally so i've seen it i've seen I've seen it done, but I've seen it done badly. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it done well. And so my aim really would be to be able to do, I suppose, a sort of funnier, Britisher Rob Bell, probably more evangelical in a British sense. Um, but um, do you know what I mean? That sort of... Yeah. Very good communicator. What the person I had in mind that I can think of, there's, there's two that have had impacts on my faith, partly because they spoke at Soul Survivor when I was... Uh, malleable as a mind and the the two that i remember just being hilarious poignant and truthful were jay john when he spoke and mike pilavachi yeah yeah we're able to get humor in there get you laughing get you alongside and then they sort of sucker punch you with with some in there and you go yeah, oh, yeah. okay that's that was needed um and it, it sounds like you've got a particular idea in mind though like what forum would that be in would that still be in comedy clubs or a whole other circuit or i don't i think um i think it would be the saturday night and hidden in plain sight the show that i'm doing i've been doing at the moment it, that is it okay. um and so that's a sort of saturday night show and we've seen people become christians through it which is great amazing um but it's, it's probably quite it's, it's, it's a two-hour show really it's quite long mm. but um but yeah, and I'm going to turn that into a DVD. So I think that 
Hmm, doing a um, I want to use the model of of comedy whereby you know you do a show and you record it and you put it out and then you do a new show and I want it to be comedy shows that also preach the gospel in an effective way and hidden in plain sight is my best gospel presentation with my best with my best material and yes it, it's it's riveted together it doesn't necessarily it's not quite as as purely mingled as I'd like it to be, but it's the best I can do for now. Mm. And I think, yeah, I mean, I love J. John and, and, and Pilavachi and uh, yeah, you're right. They're both very funny. I would hope that there's actually another level to go because they, they wouldn't be able to do a comedy club. No. And I come no. from the comedy clubs. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is to bring that level of sharpness, comedic sharpness, into the preaching yeah um just to give it that extra something that sort of preaching plus and i'm, I'm not i'm only i'm just kind of externally processing here so i'm not mm. trying to um i'm not trying to draw comparisons too much again i massively respect jay i mean no one puts up numbers like jay john yeah um i mean so what you're saying is that <laughs> he's uh, not a funny guy that's yeah what I... that's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, the, no, there's the headline. There it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll crop it out and I'll put it in bold white writing. Yeah, Andy yeah, Kine yeah, yeah. slags off J. John. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, like the, the thing is, it, it's such a unique skill set that what, what you have. So it is, it's quite rare because it's not even doing the two separate things. It's it's also that you're interested in the fact that, you know, you, that you – you know, read around the fine tuning argument and they're interested in kind of philosophical arguments for God. Yeah. Um, and I think as a comedian, um, you know, understanding culture as well, having a kind yeah. of understanding of what's you know, what the cultural moment and what's sort of going on, what people are kind of, uh, what's going to resonate with the audience and things. So it is, it's, um, yeah, I can't imagine there'll be too many people out there like with the no, skill set, the, the skill set that you have. Um That's that's right. And, and I, I, you know, I'm definitely on the right track and I'm excited and I'm experimenting mm. and, and not always getting it right, but sometimes getting it right and, and getting better at it. And I think what's interesting, I, um, I did quite a few. I basically on the carol service circuit last year, I basically followed Adrian Holloway around. So basically <laughs> the, the, the gigs that the, the gigs that he'd done the previous year, I did some of those the year just gone and um what's really what i noticed was that i wasn't i was doing like i was really kind of getting into it and was really smashing it out the park i felt but in terms of the numbers of responses they were good but they weren't anything like what holloway gets at the moment mm. and i and that's been really good because i was just like, okay so it's not about it's not simply about numbers but in terms of numbers, I actually don't think, I actually think he's right up there. He and Jay John are right up there. Holloway is, 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 is amazing. And, um, and I think at the moment, what I probably do is I probably give people entertainment and lots to think about. What I probably don't do very well at the moment is getting people over the line into a commitment within the space of 40 minutes. And I'd like to be better at that. And it's not necessarily what I'm trying to do, because what I'm trying to do is to is to give them something to think about. 
But equally, if you said, would you like those numbers? Would you like to see 25 people putting their hands up at a student carol service? Mm. Yes. So the great thing is that, again, we're, we're, we're following in the footsteps of the people who've gone ahead of us. Mm. And although my skill set, although I have a skill set that nobody else has, I've got to be humble enough to learn from everybody that I come across. Mm. And that's why I, I have a, a range of interests that I, I want to take the best from William Lane Craig. I want to take the best from Keller. I want to take the best from Todd White. I want to take the best from Adrian Holloway and Jay John and, and, and Pilavacci. And actually, I probably do take things from all of those people. So, and it's not acting. Preaching isn't acting, but it's, again, a similar process whereby you are looking at what you can help to faithfully administer the word of God. So the word of God doesn't need any selling because it sells itself but the person carrying it can work on themselves and so i think that's all i'm trying to do i'm trying to i do want to be and this might seem you you might not hear people say this very often i want to be the best preacher i can be mm. yeah I, th I think that's definitely a calling to to be i mean i've definitely referred this in a conversation with dan before but one of my favorite passages about that is is Colossians 4, where it's pray that God opens the door, but I need to speak with clarity is basically the, yeah, yeah. the gist. And we, we have to speak clearly. And that's why we go about contextualizing the gospel for the audiences in the first place. Um, and if we fumble it, well, there's grace for that. But we should yeah. be learning and we should be continuing to learn in our in ourselves. And I find preaching is often incredibly exhausting <laughs> at least i know i've preached well when i'm exhausted by it if that makes sense i've, I've yeah, yeah. not just given some information but i'm exhausted because it's challenged my own heart and i've actually bared a bit of my own heart to those listening and so it's quite interesting hearing you talk about the sort of self-denial and versus the lifting yourself up I, th I think there's there's definitely something about being on stage but directing everything upwards is, yeah. is quite a hard thing to do like every story you share that might be relate to me but i'm not wanting you to look at me in that way yeah that's it <laughs> don't look at me don't it's look at me <laughs> just hold a big mirror up while you like reflect it to the ceiling while you yeah, yeah. there's a different way of going about it but um, whilst also yeah. whilst also understanding that he has called you for who yeah. you are yeah and i think um, obviously, you know, we haven't pre-planned these these questions, so I, I am externally processing, and it's all good. Um, it may Same be here. it may be that I'll look back on this when I watch this back and think, oh, I wouldn't have said that in quite that same same way. But I, I think one of the things that I dislike is is this false humility. Like, as a comedian, I'm not naturally modest. That's you know, that's not my culture. But equally, if someone says to me that was a good preach, on the one hand, you want to say, um, "It's not. I don't care whether you thought I was good. Like, what is Jesus saying to you about it?" Mm -hmm. But if someone wants to say to me, "You're a good preacher," I'm not going to deny that because <laughs> so I know that I am yeah. because I work really hard at it, yeah. and I spent 15 years becoming a really good comedian. Not like a top-class, amazing, world-beating comedian, but like a, an excellent comedian. Mm. And I've brought the skill set. So, yeah, I'm really good at preaching. 
that doesn't turn into numbers. And that's where the humility has to come in. Mm. Like that doesn't lead anyone to Christ. But it's also just being able to accept the con- compliment, though. Yeah. Like, and I'm very good at accepting compliments. <laughs> we'll take we'll take compliments. Like that's that's okay. But do you know what I mean? I just don't think yeah. there's this. It's very British, isn't it? As oh no, I'm not. Oh, I'm. I'm oh, the Lord. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my identity is in Christ, and yeah. He's working in me, so it should look good. <laughs> it should look good. <laughs> like that. Okay. <laughs> created the universe working. Behind yeah, that's this. it. Like, yeah. 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 Did you, my best mate was up there with me and he creates the universe. Like, yeah, of course it was good. <laughs> do you, do you, it got me thinking earlier when we were thinking, um, I was talking to my wife about you coming on. It got me thinking about whether, you know, does God have a sense of humor? Because I often think that, uh, that, you know, there's probably a subset of Christians who think a Christian being com- being a comedian is kind of, I don't know, not a, that it's not it's not necessarily a profession a profession that a Christian should be in because we don't usually think of God as having a sense of humor. But have you? I mean, is that something you thought about? You know, does God have a sense of humor? Is God? Like, I, I don't know. I just it just came yeah. into me earlier. I was just thinking. Yeah, you know, I know it's not some sort of essential attribute of God, <laughs> uh, as far as I'm aware. I don't think Aquinas sort of ever mentioned it. But <laughs> yeah. um, proof of God existence by yeah. Humor. Yeah, I think Plantinga talks of it as one of the properly basic beliefs. Isn't yes. It? <laughs> um, um, yes, I think it's a really good one, isn't it? Because there's only, um, I was given a prophecy when I started comedy from Genesis 21, verse 6, which is where, um, I think verse 6 or verse 10, where uh, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And it's the laughter of joy when she, you know, she's, having the little baby um so i think god has got a sense of humor but then it depends what we mean by that because people want to project onto humor mm. and comedy lots of different connotations so some people would say oh i don't like comedy because it's rude no comedy is neutral comedy is neutral comedians are rude Guns don't kill people, rappers do, or whatever the phrase was back in the, with Blazing Squad. Um, <laughs> Wappers do. Yeah. Wappers do. <laughs> so comedy is, is, is neutral. And I think when I became a Christian at the age of 22, I, ex- I was experiencing a joy that made me laugh a lot. I was, I was laughing a lot with joy. And that was around the same time I went in uh, to comedy and so for me, there was no there was no disconnect between going into comedy and, and being a Christian, because first I've been called into it, I felt sent into it, and becoming a Christian filled me with such joy that I, I was laughing a lot and smiling a lot, and um, people definitely saw the change in, in me. So does God have a sense of humour? Yes. Does that mean that he... He likes a bit of blue for the dads. No, I don't think he. I don't think it means that. Um, does Does God ever punch down? No, he doesn't punch up either because there is nobody above him. But I, I think that when when comedy is used to speak truth to power, another myth is when people say to me, "Oh, comedians are the modern day prophets." No, we're not. Comedians are yes men and snake oil salesmen. We're not. We are. 
we are not really prophets, but I'm not, but it is potential. There is potential. Comedy could really be prophetic in terms of, and I suppose, no, there are people like, um, who am I thinking of? Mark Steele and, and, and people like that, Mark Nelson, uh, who um, speak truth to power, you know, the kind of social activism comedians. So that's prophetic in, in, in a sense. But um, generally, I, yeah, I just think that God is lots of things. And we, we don't want to become too limited. It's like when people say, what happens at the cross? Oh, at the cross, um, God takes the punishment for the sins that you deserve. Well, yeah, that's true. But other things are happening at the cross as well. Mm-hmm. You know, even in, even in Hebrews, it, it, in, I think one of the first chapters of Hebrews, it talks about two separate things that are going on as Jesus dies. So to limit, to limit God to he has a sense of humor or he doesn't have a sense of humor, he's, uh, he's naughty or he's nice, he's angry or he's not angry, well, God is love, but he's, because he's love, he's also angry. He is angry because he hates things happening to his kids. He hates injustice. He doesn't just love everything. He doesn't love evil. <laughs> he's not an idiot. So, again, it's, it's all about this, this nuance, isn't it? I, th- I wouldn't want to overload the idea that God has a sense of humor, but of course he has, because he invented laughter. Mm. And when you laugh, all the tension is being expelled from your body. Laughter is like a leaf blower for the soul. So that's literally, laughter is literally the release of tension from your body. And when you leave a comedy club that you've enjoyed or a comedy night you've enjoyed, you feel the endorphins being released have made you feel better than when you entered the club. What an amazing spiritual gift. Mm. That hasn't happened by mistake. But it's, it's, it's what you do. It's the way you get to the laughter, isn't it? And there's a, there's a, the, the joyful, gleeful laugh of a child is different to the maniacal laughter of a mad scientist. So laughter is neutral, people are not. One, one thing that just came to my mind uh, is um, I was just, I was in my kitchen. Well, actually, I'm technically still in my kitchen, but um, completely unrelated what you were just talking about. But <laughs> it reminded me about your book that I've read. What was the one about, about Tom? Tom uh, Hillingsway, yeah. Tom Hillingsway. Have you read I've that, since, Phil? I, I've since accidentally become. <laughs> like, <laughs> so basically, Phil, it's a book about a guy who um, becomes an evangelist and is terrible at it. And uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to become Tom Hillingsweight, but I'm now actually pretty much following chapter by chapter uh, his <laughs> device. <laughs> it was good. It did. It did make me laugh. It's um, it's not the sort of stuff I'd usually uh, buy, but it it was very fun. I actually left out during lockdown. We would put a box of books out um, every day uh, for people to take. And I tried that half secular, half Christian, trying to get rid of some of the, the I did actually put yours in there. And I think, I think it did get taken. So that's um, good. The problem with Tom Hillingthwaite is that um, the cover made it look like it was a children's book. Yes. Yeah. Which is why sales weren't anywhere near as much as they, they should have been. But now I'm very happy. I was very proud of it. Very proud of it and worked really hard on it. But um, yeah, you live I, and learn, I, don't you? Yeah. I, I think it was Andy Bannister shared what his cover could look like could have looked like recently one of the two options and I was looking at it going, goodness how the option that didn't get printed mm. yeah that definitely wouldn't have sold half as well i think there's a sort of 80s 90s look to to the cover you could tell it's a christian book instantly yeah, <laughs> yeah don't say that very 
very complimentary uh, yeah, yeah. in that way. So, some books you're just like, I don't, I don't, yeah, there's, for some reason, and it, and you can, part of our conversation about com- comedy and church comedy, there is sort of a history of distrust when it comes to even art. Like, is this, is this guy going to be good yeah. at his musicianship? Is this guy going to be good at his com- comedy? Is this guy going to be a good yeah. evangelist? Um, Christians are really judgmental. <laughs> yeah, no, we really are. We really, we really are. are. I can't, I can't trust it. I've been burnt by this. I've brought my friend to, and um, yeah, as this must be really hard when you are the artist in question to to go through that. Yeah, and and like it, it doesn't often, uh, it doesn't often come across as outright animosity. But uh, like you, yeah. you do sometimes look at some Christians in the audience, and you can tell they're like, you don't, you dare ruin this for us. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> be rubbish. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't you dare be rubbish. How dare you? I prayed about this. That's yeah, it. prayed. I brought my friend. They came and. <laughs> And now I'm really nervous that you're going to be rubbish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what? Who, who are some sort of influences of you, whether Christian or, or, or not, in terms of like influencing? I mean, you've mentioned some people already in terms of the Christian, like the comedy side, preaching side. Like, what? Who are sort of your, your biggest sort of influences? Do you think? Um, yeah. Well, I think I think lots of things, and 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 lots of people because I. Like the the group that you guys are admins of on on Facebook, that's been a, a a massive blessing for me over the however many years it's been going now. Um, because so you guys in 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 one respect, there's been that constant influence and uh, outlet for me to go and read stuff, and I probably don't. I probably don't read the comments even on that group anymore, <laughs> but um, it's been amazing and uh, has oh, been good. able to connect with people. So I like, um, let me list some people then. My favourite comedian of all time is, is Frank Skinner. He, My childhood hero, uh, comedy hero is Frank Skinner. My current favourite comedian is Paul Foote, who is a very surrealist, almost anti-comedian. Hmm. Um, so I take aspects of, of, of that I um I I love I love Glenn Scrivener's creative evangelism. Mm. I don't think anyone uses creative evangelism better than him. Mm. I love Andy Bannister's uh humorous apologetics, and I think at the moment mm. he is the funniest apologist that we have. Mm. Um and when I read The Atheist It Doesn't Didn't Exist, I was just I just thought I loved it as a book, but I also thought I this is the book that I wish I'd been able to write. Hmm. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I know Andy very well, and he like he, his jokes are in real life are bad. He's like, he's, he's, <laughs> he, like he is frustrating to be around. Um, <laughs> but but the book itself, you know, to make gonna, just so you know, I'm going to cut that bit out too and say Andy kind slags off. Yeah, yeah, slags <laughs> off. <back. laughs> I'll tell you who else is an idiot. Nicky Gumble. Come on. <laughs> Come on. NT Wright. <laughs> no time for him. Yeah. And his um, scholarship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some sort of scholar. So NT Wright, I love in terms of his gentleness mm. and his nuance. Yeah. Whenever I'm feeling upset about an issue or confused about an issue, I just watch it. I'll, I'll YouTube NT Wright, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd White for his confidence and his passion. Tim Keller for his uh, 
uh, rigorous logic and argumentation. Uh, Bill Craig, because he's a cyborg, uh, and like just, just on. I think you know my biggest. I don't know if I'd still be a Christian if I hadn't come across William Lane Craig at the time that mm -hmm. I did. I probably would be, but I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So right. again, you draw on lots of people. Um, yeah, those would be my biggest influences. And I think probably I look, and then some musicians maybe. So um, there's a folk, there was a folk that was broken up now, but Bellow had a folk group and um, I really liked them because they were doing stuff that was, that was different. I like people who pioneer stuff. Even if, I do, even if I'm not a fan of what it is they're pioneering, I like to see what's happening. When people are pioneering things, what is happening? What is it that they're fusing together and how are they fusing it? So bantering, it's bantering and, and ad-libbing on stage is simply bringing two disparate ideas together into, into one whole. And that's what I'm trying to do on a, on a more uh, thematic, writ large scale. I'm trying to bring preaching and, and comedy together. I'm trying to form disparate things into one unified whole. And so I like people who do that in the arts. Mm. So I, I don't have, that's quite a full answer really, but I, I just love, I love seeing people be brilliant at what they do. Ah, this is a, a final one. This is an interesting one. When it comes to preaching, Mark Rylance, who's not a preacher, he's an actor. Um, but I, when I'm, when I'm practicing preaching, when I'm working on my preaching, I will often watch a Mark Rylance Shakespeare speech mm. this is a preaching hack actually because this is it's like this is like the fam secret family recipe for me um i will watch him giving a speech and i will watch how he's doing it and then i will bring that demeanor into into preaching so at the end of hidden in plain sight i go from the hey guys comedy comedy and i go into the shakespearean actor and if you're watching carefully, you can sort of see it happen. But right at the end, when I'm giving the, the final gospel punch, I am doing it as though I'm on stage at the Globe. Mm. Just because I think there's a there's a power and there's a there's a timing and a, an, an, an understated nuance about it. Um, so, yeah, Mark Rylance. Mm. I've actually yeah. shared a beer. Well, not shared the same beer. <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> had a beer with Frank Skinner. Wow. Yeah, I was a contestant on a show on Sky Atlantic called "Don't Sit in oh, the Front you? Row." Yeah, it only it only it only ran for one season. I was on. I actually did the um, the pilot, and then they asked me back for another show. You basically they you um, you get paired with a comedian, and the comedian has to use your sto funny stories from your life to make people laugh. And I've got stuff like, you know, I was kind of like Harry Potter because I lived in a cupboard, an actual cupboard for a while. Wow. Uh, and I, I accidentally, I almost, uh, st I strangled an old man by accident. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you added the by accident. Yeah, well, I, I was walking behind, there's an alley behind my house. And my brother uh, always walked our dog and he wore a flat cap as if he was sort of a, a Lincolnshire farmer. And um, so I thought what would be funny because I saw him in front of me and I thought, I know, I'll pretend to mug him. And so I snuck up behind him and strangled him. And then when I looked at his face, I realized that it, it wasn't actually my brother. It was an old oh, man. No. And um, he wasn't, he wasn't that chuffed uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and tried to, to sort of hit me. And I, 
I was incredibly apologetic. Like, I'm so sorry. I fought you and my brother. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, that was that realization. Is, is, I've had a few of those experiences. You know, when, like you sort of you're expecting one thing, and then the opposite happens. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like it was one of those moments. I was like, you're not my brother. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. There's quite a few, but that was good. And, and so Frank Skinner was was on the. I think it was jack d as well jack d was presenting it and frank Skinner yeah. was there for one of one of them and yeah i've got oh, i've got nice. a picture somewhere of me and my wife with uh, having a beer with him and a chinese i think do we have a chinese nice. i remember maybe it was that's stuff, brilliant like that. but i i, I think brilliant. just going back to what we were saying i think that you want because preaching is an art as well as a science um you want it to be as rich as possible and i want my I want my stage presence to be as rich as possible because it does help. You know what? If um, if the atheists can put on shows, um, you know, if Tim Minching can can mm. go all the smells and bells, then so can I. It's not it's not cheating to be to be really good and really polished at, at what you do. So, um, and again, you know, watch a lot of the SAS. Are you top enough stuff? <laughs> and um, I've read a couple of books about those those guys, and you know they're trying to they're tr constantly training and constantly bringing in different disciplines to enhance the whole to become that kind of perfect soldier. And so I I just want what people see to be as rich as possible, not to be a mm. one trick one note pony, but to to have that ability to instruct and prove, to rivet and delight, and to stir and move to action. And the way you do that is by learning from people who are amazing at what they do in 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 different fields and um, and drawing from it. So, mm. yeah, when I'm uh, I I rehearse, I I memorize Shakespearean speeches and deliver them to the mirror on my own. Don't record them, um, but I memorize them and record um, deliver them just to help with preaching. Wow. How long does that tend to take? Well, I mean, we've got one question here that's, that's kind of linked to um, someone saying that they preach far more naturally without notes, but all for remembering what I want to say. Mm. Yeah. How how do you go about practically doing no notes preaching? Is it literally just the time? You just need to set aside time to memorize each week, or or? Yeah, I mean, when, when yeah, if I'm. And it's different, isn't it? If, if you're preaching at your own church, you are you are using notes of some of some sort, unless you've done it, unless it's a talk that you've, you know, done several times before, and you're just cheating by bringing it, bringing it home. You are using notes, um, and I think it's different, isn't it? Recording to a screen. I've done so oh. many preachers over uh, during lockdown, and I absolutely hate it. I flipping hate it. I just uh, did, I'm, did I'm before so uh, before talking to you. I did my one for Sunday, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so bored of it because there's no there's no affirmation, there's no adrenaline, there's no instant gratification, there's no body language. So you can't again you can't. My skill set has been demolished because I can't read. There's no one to read. Like how's this going? Mm. Um, which is why I have this guy. I use this guy, Alan, my stuffed fox. He's my uh, <laughs> he's my stooge. So he's in all of my preaches. Wow. And in last week's preach. Um, he, he was speaking French, so I, I cut to him speaking French. Uh, and we had a conversation with him speaking French and me being... In, it was me speaking French, obviously, but he was on the screen. So I tried to in include these little vignettes. 
but how do how do you go about it learning it yeah you just learn it and i think you kind of it's easier to remember a story than a series of facts isn't it mm, so true. if everything can be embedded in story but yeah i just i just go over it and i suppose it, because my mind is wired in that way, I have trained my mind to be able to quickly remember series of things. It is easier for me, but I would still use I would still use notes. I've got notes here for tonight. I've got some notes there, um, and I think when you when you're doing it to camera, I try to I try to make I try to have bullet points and then just quickly look down at the bullet point so I know what I'm going to say. You learn the paragraph. Yeah. Um, or you learn the theme. Um, uh, but when you're live, live, it's a bit different live, because even if you take a break and you take a sip of water and you're looking at your notes, people can still see you. And and they still, they're still experiencing it live and they can chat to their friend. Or whereas over camera, you can't really have any dead air time. No. You've really just got to keep t- talking, because otherwise it looks like a hostage video. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Yeah, did there was a there was a tweet fairly early on in lockdown that I saw of uh, please keep all your preachers in mind as as they prepare to try and make sure their their preachers don't look like a Osama bin Laden video. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Um, yeah, that, that's really helpful. I, I just find I don't. It's the timing aspect, and I'm I'm sort of an assistant pastor at my church, and so I, I preach occasionally, but uh just find i'm not giving myself enough time to get to those points where i'm like yeah actually i really memorize it and uh yeah and it does it does kind of work that um with with notes you can kind of keep it under the camera and you 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 can find ways to do that i haven't yet got as creative as you have with your uh bilingual no thing sorry sorry yeah it's a is that is an agnostic fo- his character has grown over over lockdown i love that um, more complex life that's, that's yeah, amazing that's but i think that um what you've just got to when you're preaching you've got to own it haven't you so mm. it, that doesn't mean you have to memorize it but it means that when you are looking at your notes you know that they are your words that you're going to say yeah so, you know, I've never had to do it, but I'm sure it might happen at some point. But you, you can tell when someone's just copied out a John Piper sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell when something's not authentic. That's why I try and cry as much as possible during preaching. It gives me a bit of time to think. <laughs> it also makes that. people think, wow, he, he's really speaking from the heart. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, 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 so you are a weeper, are you? Oh, no, oh absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that would make Dan, me. Dan cr- can't handle that. <laughs> I can't. I can. That would be that. That's like a deal breaker for going to a church. If the if the if the if the, if the preacher cries too frequently, I can't. I, like, all, all the time, mate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You were so. You're probably right up there, and it's yeah. Oh, it's yeah crying. It's crashing it, down. I, and the, the thing is, I know it's a problem with me. Mm. I know. I know the crier is not the problem, unless it's like you know, unnecessary crying. Yeah. Uh, but I know no. it's my own insecurities and that I can't deal with sort of emotion. Well, so, you, just, uh, you said earlier on that you're naturally conservative and conservatives hate any yeah. kind of emotion, don't they? Like yeah. you Ooh, pull just, yourself it's icky. together. I yeah, it's icky. <laughs> pull your bootstraps up. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Work yeah. just want the information. Just give yeah. me the information. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't cry all the time, really. I haven't cried. Okay. I haven't cried during <laughs> you haven't cried in this. That would be that would be bad. <laughs> but you know, but the reason is though, maybe Phil, you're the same. You you you're the first person to get converted by your talks. I think like you, when you start talking about the gospel and you see mm. people respect for the first time, like oh, it's that. That's what it is. I get it now. Right. How yeah. can you how can you not get emotional about that? Yeah. It's just there isn't anything like preaching the gospel and seeing people get it in front of your eyes. That's what gets me crying. Yeah. Yeah. Rain uh, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think what was it you've cried once in your life and that was when No, no, I have there, there, there are legit there I have rules. There are legitimate reasons for crying. Uh yeah. one is honest. one is death or <laughs> severe pain um others are million dollar of, baby uh, no no i'll get into it wait no, <laughs> death and suffering um the second is uh like big moments so birth of a child i became yeah. very emotional i cried loads when my, when my first daughter was uh, born and then that stopped, thankfully, after about a couple of weeks. Uh, mine hasn't stopped, so you're, you're still you're still going. Yeah, but that, that's and, another story. And third is documentaries or movies that are based on real events. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although the the one that did get me the exception to that is Million Dollar Baby because I know that's not real, but it got me at a low point and I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> And I was, I was emotionally, I'd been alone for a while, you know, and I was a bit low and it got me and I cried. Yeah. But no, I don't usually let them. I don't usually let them. Schindler's I list. was the same with uh, yeah. planes, trains and automobiles. It just, it honestly just smashed me at the end. <laughs> I've not seen that. Oh, oh it's amazing. I'm going to have to. But now you've told me it made you cry. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> no, I feel like we're, we're having a vulnerable moment, guys. I, I... Yeah. Where uh, moving actually, on. So I just got me thinking now. So the only time I did cry reading a book was uh, Bonhoeffer um, uh, biography by Eric Metaxas. And I, I started, I was reading it on the train on the way back when I was commuting into London. And I just started like weeping. And I was yeah. like, I was like, oh my God, I have to, I, 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 like, I have to stop, I have to stop reading it. Like all these like, businessmen. Like, What's he doing? I weeping, don't know who you are, Dan. Weeping, I thought I knew a book. Well. Because <laughs> I knew what happened. It's horrible. He's had these letters to his fiance and you know that he, you know, I'm going to ruin it for you, but he dies uh, and they never see each other. Spoiler. And I just couldn't, I couldn't contain it. And so I had to read mm. it at home. So I just like weeping at home. And we had like, again, we had um, Ben Thornton, uh, Phil, no, uh, who's staying at our house for our friend from church. And I just like, he might just like come into the room. I'm like weeping, you know, because I'm like, <laughs> it's never happened since, but it was, I don't, I don't like those moments. It's like a defeat. Yeah. Is, got... that, is that because you sent Mel some love letters and, she didn't get them either. Is there something? Nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's deep, deeply tied to to that real life experience. Yeah, we've got a request for uh, starting a fundraiser for Daniel. I mean, anyone who doesn't weep at the first ten minutes of up needs help. <laughs> you know, that, I, I, can I yeah. say it's, I didn't like it? You didn't like it. I didn't like it. The first ten minutes of the whole film. I, the whole film. I was. I was. Really? I was. I was ambivalent. That's controversial. But I was massively ambivalent. And I, I, again, I am a weeper. I love a bit of Disney. The Disney Aladdin remake is off the charts good, man. But Up just didn't do anything for me at all. Not even those first 10 minutes? 
No. Really? I just I I I remember Cop. feeling annoyed. <laughs> I remember feeling it was hokey. It was like okay, oh, it just it's like it was essentially um, a weepy version of the beach scene from Saving Private Ryan. It's like we're going <laughs> we're going we're going in very high end here. Instant death. And like with Saving Private Ryan, you think okay, because there's a context of D Day, but with off, he's just totally selfish. I found it self indulgent. <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant. You're like you're like a just a slightly like you're like an eccentric bishop baron doing film yeah. reviews. Have you ever watched his film reviews? <laughs> we were yeah. have, we, that's a new channel, film reviews that's, with Andy Kind. That's what you yeah. should do yeah. during lockdown. Start up become yeah. the new bishop baron. <laughs> and again, I, I love I, I you know have cried at loads of films and um I, I I think I even probably cried at the end of Moana on one occasion, but oh. um <laughs> Danny, yeah. Don't talk because no, because it's it's really difficult for me to hold you in like higher step. Yeah. But then the more you're talking now, <laughs> it's just it's just getting lower and lower. This is what, like, this is what happens at the two hour mark of a yeah. conversation. Just would, it, would it help if I if I like went through the whole Crystal Palace side from like 1992 or something? Yeah, Phil won't appreciate. He doesn't yeah, even know who Crystal yeah. Palace are. No, he's <laughs> somewhere up north, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, got some good comments here at the moment. So, uh, da- Dan, your your strangling an old man uh, story has uh, proved a hit, and um, Chris' response to um, your your response on up, uh, so much for Mister Nuance is is the response. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, we've got we've got some other questions coming actually that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. After the conversation so far, it's a bit serious. Maybe we can uh, do a summary question. So we've got um, you kind of talked about people that influenced you, and it was a really broad spectrum. And so I'd recommend anyone going into apologetics or evangelism to have that kind of spread. I think that's so mm-hmm. important. If you go into just a apologetics for apologetics' sake, you end up losing the nuance that's <laughs> that's needed. Um, but if you are to list five apologists that have influenced you most, what would those, who the, would those five apologists be? Great. Easy. So we're well, not easy, but I can do it. So you've got to say C.S. Lewis, just because I don't think, I just don't think any, there's anyone on either side of the sacred secular divide who has his imagination and creativity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he was, he was probably, he was arguably a bit misogynistic but he was also of his time. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't just blame everybody for not being on the right side of history all the time. I'm just sick of it. Like in 200 years time, none of us will be on the right side of history. Like goodness I knows will. what people 200 years from now mm. will be thinking about us. So um, CS Lewis, um, just again, for the range of stuff that he does. I mean, I'm reading the sci-fi trilogy at the moment, but I've read the great divorce and, and reading Narnia to my kids and just a genius so he would have to be number one it's a bit of a boring one because everyone does that but i'd say him uh, i'd have to say william lane craig just because of um I, I think how he dragged christian apologetics um center stage really in in, in the in the modern age mm. and um you know just basically has taken on all, all comers and I've never, I've never seen him bested. I've seen him thwarted by smoke screens, but I've never seen him bested. Hmm. Um, so him, 
I will say Rebecca McLaughlin, who I've just I've just mm. finished got, uh, confronting Christianity, great and um, it's a great book. And I've really listened to the audio, and um, I, I just I really really liked it. I have to say Andy Bannister because he's my friend, um, <laughs> but also he's just he's he's so he's so unlikely because he's just such a lovely man, and you know you. You don't get the impression that all of these kind of academic apologists are like that easy to be around. But whereas you wouldn't know that Andy Bannister had basically destroyed the Quran with his PhD. Mm. You know, you would by, by showing that it's based on oral tradition. You wouldn't you wouldn't know that he was a PhD a, at all, mm. or because he's just so humble. Mm. So I'll say Bannister, um, and then it's interesting because I've been I'm watching a lot of ravi at the moment because of him mm. just having gone to be with the lord but i haven't watched huge amounts of ravi over the over the years really so i probably can't say him so whoever i've done so far i've done bannister c.s lewis Craig, William Craig, Craig, lewis. rebecca mclaughlin yeah and um who else would i say i did it was on the it was on the tip oh michael ramsden I mm. love michael ramsden oh, yeah. that's a great show yeah i just think he's an absolute beast and a legend Mm. Yeah, I want to be friends with him. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to be fat friends with Michael Raz. He 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 he's he's one of those people. He's got crazy intellect, great sense of humor, amazing communicator, and he's yeah, yeah, just yeah. such a good evangelist. Such yeah, yeah. I think he I, I he's probably if I could watch any of the well, I've mm. watched this list, but apart from this list, if I could watch any evangelist or apologist live, I'd probably say Ramsden yeah. and. Um, Special mention to Christy Mayer, who's uh, mm. a friend of mine as well, and just again really humble, way cleverer than she thinks she is, and just really pioneering some great, great stuff. So Christy Mayer would be honourable mention. We want to get her on here. Can you put in a good word? I don't know how yeah. to get hold of her. I know um, I've heard she's busy. Um, she is busy. Um, I, I can I can hook you up. That'd be cool. Yeah, I've I've heard good things. I'd like to. I think there's a, a few mutual friends through um, mm. sort of UCCF channels that I've got, but we'll uh, see if we can get her on at some point. There's um, one that's uh, probably going from high comedy to a little bit more of a serious topic, and I'll, I'll be interested in in your opinion on this. And the, the question on the uh, page, and maybe maybe we'll make this the last question at this point. Um, Obviously, being an evangelist, you have to share the gospel. There's two aspects to the gospel, the good news and the bad news. How? What's your take on the, the bad news or the hell question? Mm. The question specifically is, what do you make of a specific view of hell, which is conditional immortality uh, from the chat? Well, you, how, how do you present that aspect of the gospel? And where do you sit in the sort of three main views of, of hell? That's a brilliant question, whoever's asked that. And um, and so thank you. So, yeah, it's interesting. I My approach to preaching is very much that you can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. But I don't I don't simply mean I don't simply mean um if you don't become a Christian, then you'll go to hell. What I what I do, what I try to do, if I've got a if I've got free reign in the gospel presentation, I will try and tear down worldviews like dominoes 
so that at the end people are left at the foot of the cross and they don't know how they got there. So my aim is to, is to gently arrow people towards the foot of the cross. Hmm. So I would simply talk about, and again, you try to do it in, in quite a modest and humble way. You talk about how if atheism is true, then, you know, if atheism, then obliteration, annihilation, the universe doesn't love you. You are simply a protoplasmic sack of, of chemicals. The good news of atheism is, is that whether you um, die at 92 years age after a joy-filled life of humanitarian aid work or you die screaming in pain at nine minutes, your reward is exactly the same, obliteration, annihilation, because the universe doesn't love you. The universe isn't sure why it created itself, let alone why you're here. That's the good news of atheism. And mm. and I would say that verbatim. I mean, I'm basically saying verbatim now. But So I would, because what I want to do is I want to do what we said earlier, um, back on old earth when we started this conversation um <laughs> is to is to is to address not what i think is important but what they think is important and so you've got secular people who might not be atheists because very few people are actually atheists but they are secular and they think christianity is ridiculous so what i want to do is to show that even if you think christianity is superficially ridiculous if you look at any worldview, you'll find at some point that it's even more ridiculous, that actually everything is ridiculous. And Michael Ramsden says it's difficult to make any worldview totally cohere. We just believe that Christianity coheres the best. So I would try and um, hmm. what I want to do is to start with a level playing field and say, if everything is ridiculous, which it is, um, we're still left with the reality that something is true. And, and that might be atheism. What if it's atheism, then it's bad news. If atheism is true, then it is bad news. If the other religions are true, and this is my, this is my main thing that my, this is my main sort of, um, not bugbear, but my, the thing I go to town on the most is, is, is competing religious views. Because I think the zeitgeist view at the moment is of a general spirituality, um, which is really Oriental Gnosticism, disguised as self-empowerment or something mm -hmm. but um i would I, I look at what these religions say in their own words and on their own terms and address questions like oh every religion talks about a god of love no they don't <laughs> they just really don't no. um every religion there's many ways to god well no because almost no one else is offering you a way to god Mm -hmm. See, Dan's crying. He can't bear it. He's like, yeah. he's so emotional. <laughs> he can hear, hear him weep. <laughs> yeah. So I am getting to the question, the answer to the question. But no, it's good. The whole approach is that I, I fell in love with the gospel when I realized that there was no other story like it. That no one else was offering me the life of abundance and freedom that Jesus offers. Once I realized that when Jesus says no one comes to the Father but through me, that's not arrogant because no one else is offering to take you to the Father. Or when Christians say there is no, no other name by which man can be saved, that's not us being arrogant because no one else is offering to save you. It's stuff like that. That's, that's, think, oh, that's God, really good. I love that. Yeah. You think, gosh, this is this is why it's good news. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, good news in comparison to the other news being bad. Even if the other news is true, it's bad news. 
at the best, it's good. It's good advice, but it's um, it's also bad news. So then, with the hell question, so I, if and if someone says to me, "What's the area of theology that you think you're wrong about?" I think it's hell, hmm. because I I make my decision on it's the only area of my theology where it's based on my emotional ability to cope so i'm an annihilationist um because i find that the the most conducive to evangelism and apologetics because again it, it ties into that question of c.s lewis you know doesn't it either there's two types of people those who say to god your will be done or those to whom god says your will be done and i like the idea that um that really people who don't want to be with jesus get what they're expecting which is nothing Mm -hmm. but i would so generally i'm an annihilationist because i can cope with that i'm a pentecostalist on the streets and a, and a Calvinist in the sheets, which means that when when, I, when I'm out when I'm out sharing the gospel, I'm sharing it like there's no tomorrow, and like everyone needs to hear the gospel. But at some point, you need you need to relax, don't you, and, and rest on God's sovereignty. Mm. So the, again, you have to have nuance and you have to have balance. Yeah, I and I think there is nuance. So I I used to be a universalist. But I also, I also used to never lead anyone to Christ. And the period where I never led anyone to Christ and the period where I was a universalist, uh, are they're not a Venn diagram, they're a circle. It's one circle on top yeah. of another. Yeah. So practically, I'm not even a hopeful universalist mm. because actually I think people need to be able to decide to reject Jesus. Uh, that's where mm. I'm at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just, just to kind of, Ping it back to you. I, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I didn't don't want you to to sweat. <laughs> like, <laughs> as I, yeah. but it's interesting that you you talk about it being uh, an ability to cope and how it relates to your evangelism. And as often fired back at annihilationists, and I've had this in, in my experience in discussions online, is how does it impact your evangelism if they get what they want? And it's so like, well, that's exactly it. Our God is both just they they will get the eternal punishment of not being in eternal life but he's not going to torment them forever (laughs) and and that language of torment forever that only comes in two verses in the entirety of the bible needs to be dug into because it's the most symbolic book of the bible if you i've heard it said if you didn't have revelation everyone would be annihilationists and then you've got to dig into revelation why two verses then cause this tradition to emerge so i i completely agree and when i dug into it i found my evangelism has actually uh had more focus had i'm more confident in the gospel because i can use language of life or death yeah and um and, and leave it at that because the bible does like uh constantly just going through acts you're like they don't they don't preach this eternal torment thing yeah I can preach but, the gospel as they do. But they do. But I, I would also say that if it turns out that eternal conscious torment is true, that will be fair. If oh, it's yeah. True, yeah. Then, then it is fair. And so, and, and again, I want to, I want to 
you know, gives give room for that. For that nuance. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and have the nuance. And also understand that that is the area of theology where I'm making a decision because I want that to be true. That's interesting. I want, I want annihilationism to be true. Yeah, that's, um, that's really but interesting. I, I, but well, I also I'm, think, yeah. but I do also think it makes the most sense missiologically. Um, so, you know, it's, I have got people in my church who, who basically would rebuke me for not being conservative enough on the, on the issue of hell. But I'm an evangelist. What, I, I, what I'm trying to do is to show that choices have consequences. And so my, that would be my approach to preaching about hell, um, that choices have consequences. And you can choose to reject Jesus. But, you know, the three nouns to describe God in the New Testament are love, light and life. And if you turn your back on love, light and life, you get death, destruction and disconnection. Well, that sounds a lot like hell to me. God isn't the Jesus Christ isn't the allocator of joy and freedom and peace. He's the source of these things. There isn't a place. Heaven isn't center parks. Heaven isn't a reward for a life well lived. There isn't a place that Jesus can send you to be happy where he isn't. Mm. So evangelistically, I find that very helpful. Like, yes, if you don't want to be with Jesus for eternity, then you don't have to. But what are you expecting to happen? Mm. Yep. I think hell and heaven are two overloaded terms. Um, but actually, the, it is a binary choice, presence of God or absence of God. Yep. Whatever yep. presence and absence look like, those are the two choices, presence of God or absence of God. And how eternal and temporarily, you know, in a temporal sense, that absence is, I don't, I don't know. But for me... What I say to people is, um, even if you're a universalist and, and you believe that because of the cross, everybody will, will ultimately end up in heaven, your family and friends will be finding you around the throne and saying, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? I knew you for 40 years and you didn't tell me about this guy who could have freed me from my addiction or helped me with my anxiety or, or, or felt, brought me comfort in my, in my affliction. So I don't really care what a Christian's view on hell is well i do care whether they tell people about jesus mm -hmm. tell people about jesus because there's yep. no there's no other show in town there's no other show in town amen dan you were going to say something no it's interesting because of, of the um i've i wasn't expecting you to say that um <laughs> oh right so and what i think what's interesting is because um i i hold to the same view but on exegetical grounds not um emotional not not for those not for those reasons but i i, I yeah. appreciate why you would come come to that conclusion mm. because of that i know um uh, for me it just makes better sense of, of yeah. scripture you know ba even basic things i know when i talked to phil about you know even something like john three sixteen, you know god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should perish you know yeah. it's perish or have eternal life so yeah. there is this dichotomy is eternal life <coughs> and then there's perish so yeah. perish can't mean eternal life, like because it. it's either one or the other. So it's either perish, and then you you look at the the language throughout the New Testament of destruction, uh, mm. death, um, and that they're not synonyms for eternal life. And I, I don't want to end up getting into this, but I know me and Phil talk about yeah. this issue quite a lot. So it's yeah. um, it's interesting. So maybe if people people listening or um, later on want to look at that question in more detail, is yeah. getting Ed, Edwards Edward Fudge's book, um, yeah. The Fire That Consumes.
Well, wow. that, I mean, I've done a decent amount of study on it. So if they want to go to the hell project online or search the hell project on YouTube, you'll find a channel that's uh, where I've done all my work and just put it onto the internet. So um, I, I agree. Uh, mine was an accidental stumbling over an annihilationism because of Dan. <laughs> so um, he, he dropped John 316. Well, I, I first called him a heretic because he had this book called Rethinking Hell on his bookcase. And uh, he told me to read it and tell him what perish meant. And so I dug into it for a good little while. And this is where I'm at. And and so I, f I find, yeah, from that point on, I've got a more thorough foundation and conviction for God will ultimately remove all evil, suffering and sin and death completely. And new creation hope is, is amazing. It's the complete opposite of all those things. And uh, and it's actually reconnected my idea of what what we mean by heaven, mm. what our ultimate hope is, where we're going to, uh, isn't off there somewhere, but it's new heaven, new earth. And and for me, that is such an amazing answer to the idea of God and suffering. Uh, yeah, we we know that Christ has done something at the cross. That's a great answer to suffering. But we also know this amazing verse that says one day there'll be no more pain, no more mourning no more death i mean that's if that's not good news so we have both the cross and the hope and this is a good a good story and good news um yeah. and and for me there's no space for this realm of ongoing torment it mm. makes no i can't find an answer to yeah. why that would exist in new creation why god would allow it to exist i've heard i've heard theories of like god allows people to continue sinning and I'm like, I'm looking at the Bible. There's no more death. And this thing of, this thing of death is yeah. sin. Like death yeah. and sin are hand in hand. If there's no more death, there's no more sin. We've got new creation. Like this is good news. Why are we telling people that it's still around in the new, yeah, new yeah. creation? So I'm and a I bit just, passionate I, about it. <laughs> and I think the only thing we have to be, so the only reason I'm a bit sensitive, not sensitive, but yeah, trying to be sensitive in the way I talk about it is because I'm aware that actually there are lots of people who are our brothers and sisters who really do um, hold fiercely but earnestly mm -hmm. to the eternal conscious torment thing. Amen. And, yeah. and, and, and would, would, would want to show in the Bible where they think that line of best fit runs. Mm -hmm. And so I want to honour and respect that and also say, you know, there's a degree to which it's an in-house issue, mm -hmm. really. Exactly. That's really important. Um, but, you know, in terms of mission and evangelism, I, I want I want people to know that they do have to make a choice, uh, and that is an urgent choice. And actually, you know, there is no worldview. There is no worldview where living a good life as you think a good life should be lived gets you to heaven. That doesn't exist. So I, I want to demolish arguments mm -hmm. and 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 show people where the bad news is and where the where the bad arguments are. And point people to Jesus because I don't think, I, I just don't think there's anything else worth being pointed to. Like he is the Lord, mm. but equally, I, I just think I want to be sensitive to the fact that lots of people who know God as well as me and read their mm. Bible more than me and are cleverer than me do have a more conservative view. And I don't, mm. again, I'm not interested in tribalism. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I do, I'm interested yeah. in, in community and us being on mission together uh, on the essentials unity on the non-essentials charity mm. i think that's great and it's always a good reminder it's partly why i've done this channel to get away from 
just digging into one topic. I didn't want to be a one topic wonder and I'm not sure I'm a wonder at that. So it's, uh, it, yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm passionate about because I, I really like how N.T. Wright talks about it and it's getting people to relearn what we mean by heaven. Mm. And if that's more how I can be clear about things, like the hell topic can f- fall by the wayside basically because I want people to know about heaven. Mm. And when they ask about the other side, I have this back catalog of exegetical reasons for why I, I handle it the way I do. Um, but I, I think so many Christians don't have that new creation hope. They mm. have that idea of, which is actually a fairly Muslim idea. I was talking to a yeah. Muslim today of I, the world ends and I go up to heaven, <coughs> or I go down to hell and there's these levels and I'll be judged on some aspect. And maybe, maybe their theology has removed the levels aspect. They haven't gone yeah. full Dante's Inferno, but they've, yeah come close to it and yeah. and it's reconnecting with those those a bit where, where we're headed uh yeah. and um yeah yeah it's it's a kind yeah it's kind of uh islamic platonism isn't it really or it's a kind of a merge of those those two things really and again that's where on on hell i only really want to listen to nt right mm. i just want to listen to him i also want him to be my dad yeah Oh, the Ask N.T. Wright podcast I don't really, I've got, is my favourite. My, my dad, my dad's great. But you know what I mean. You look at him, you think, I, I wish, I wish you could read me a bedtime story. <laughs> we'll suggest that to Justin Briley when we, uh, yeah, Justin Briley on. Like, can you do an, a third ask podcast? Ask anything. Can Andy Kind come and sit on your lap? <laughs> I wasn't going to go that way. But we want this. <laughs> We've got a little button that we have to press. This is made for kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think I'm allowed to put that on there. I'd love to see uh, N.T. Wright doing CBB's bedtime story. <laughs> it's just a, a chapter from the resurrection of the Son of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Six hours later. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but people would still be listening. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. fantastic so um we we're at two hours 25 minutes and come on we're, we're doing well but i think as it's <laughs> i've got to go to bed soon um there's there's actually no more questions at the moment we've covered all of them uh the only thing that was offered right at the beginning by london theist uh was let's set up a comedian apologetics debate andy versus ricky gervais <laughs> we've tried no we've tried have you? we have oh, tried really? yeah, yeah. Like, what happened? Well, and, it didn't I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to be kind of flip the whole Matt Dillahunty, William Lane Craig won't debate me thing. But oh, um, you like have an empty chair. Me and me and just me and Justin have um, tried on several occasions to get me debating another another comedian, oh, really? uh, and um, none of them have said yes yet. But I'm going to be up for it. Mm, that'd be great. I'd love to put it out you there. and Gervais. It'd be great. Yeah, get some retweets. Once we've got a bit a more of a following. Of his. Like, again, disagreement is not dislike. He's a, he's a, mm. he's amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a funny guy. He's not my my top, but I I, I appreciate what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'd love it. I'd love it. Cool. One day. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. London Theist can uh, start retweeting stuff to. Uh, to get yeah. Ricky Gervais on. Start so, tweeting all the theists in London and uh there you go. <laughs> <laughs> get, get all. Um on that note, so we, we have a fairly standard question and it's Dan's job to ask it. So go on Dan, how do we finish? <laughs> uh no I was just gonna say um obviously we we'll have to be relatively a couple couple of books you might recommend people read. 
uh, and a, maybe a, just a couple of people who people listening might not know about, but they should. Yeah, great. Um, well, so we sort of, I would definitely, again, I'd want to, maybe because it's fresh, but maybe because I think, you know, she, she's quite, she's good on the scene. So um, Rebecca McLaughlin, I think is, is, is really interesting voice. Um, and so I would recommend Confronting Christianity. And I would recommend The War of Loves by David Bennett, mm -hmm. uh, which is not strictly apologetics, but it does have apologetical elements. And what's interesting about both of those guys, Rebecca and, and David, is that they are both same-sex attracted and have both had to go on that really difficult journey of understanding what it means to love Jesus more than they love their own desires. And... Um, yeah, so I, I just think that I've got another friend who um, is uh, is a, a vicar, and, but also same-sex attracted, but celibate. And I asked him why, well, you know, why have you taken this choice? Because actually, within the Anglican Church, you could quite easily be practicing, and no one would no one would mind. And he said, "I, I don't think that sacrifice is ever wasted when it's done for Jesus. Mm. I don't think sacrifice." And I really just appreciated that so yeah my um mm. the two books i'd recommend confronting christianity by rebecca mclaughlin uh and um war of loves by david bennett and though both of those guys are worth um following and pursuing and also i would say you know me because you know i'm kind of a big deal and everyone should like follow me <laughs> but no you, you can you can follow me at andy kind comedy on youtube and, and facebook and um it's a mixture of preaching and comedy and it's a, well, a weird mix, but come along for the ride. Are you on parlor yet? Yes, I have. Oh yeah. Isn't it parlay? Well, yeah, probably, but I'm, I'm putting the American. Well, it's emphasis not on parlor, it. is it? <laughs> parlay. Well, I doubt, I doubt the, I doubt, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit stereotypical, but do the, do the Americans call it that? <laughs> I don't know what they call it. I, I, have, I, I joined have joined it, it but joined it, it, yeah. it's, um, it, it seemed like a sort of far right, Far right American. Yeah, it was, it was, Where's the nuance? Everyone? <laughs> definitely, there. definitely missing the nuance for for something called parlay. Um, but the yeah, and the recommendations on the right when something recommends you, Katie Hopkins. I'm not a big fan mm. of that. Yeah. The um, it also feels like Facebook in 2006. Okay. It doesn't have much going for it. I'll, I'll be that honest. But we're on there. So if anyone has joined parlay, like. Uh, every other right wing <laughs> apparently person uh, <laughs> that's what the media says at least that's yeah. why i use that phrase we, we aren't right wing um but there's a we're on there give us a shout there's a few other apologists and evangelists on there at the moment um but if that's the new platform we'll try it out um cool andy it's been a privilege and we've really enjoyed it and we'll, we'll be sure to have you again on here at some point in the near future i'm sure i have loved it thank you so much guys have we broken the record for longest one i'm afraid that we no, are uh, well, pff, neil shelby sorry has uh 28 minutes on us i'm afraid and uh but he he had the bonus of being at a weekend so i i don't have that stamina <laughs> For another 30 minutes i would love to maybe we'll just have apology a rejected oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry i feel shame shame but i i believe jesus will take that away you'll be num yeah. you'll be number two you're number two you can Come take on. that you we can sleep well you beat glenn scrivener yeah 
Yeah. So I always can, beat you know. Glenn. He knows, he, knows, <laughs> he knows who the winner is. <laughs> nice. Well, on that on that note, thank you, uh, thank Andy. you Andy. Thank you for the people watching. We've had I think six or seven viewers throughout the evening. Thank you for sticking with us, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Like the episode, share it, subscribe, do all those things. And if you want more content uh, or have anyone we should know about, do send in messages. Otherwise, we'll see you at the next one, which I think the long, the next long-form chat we'll have is with Cy Gart, who is a biochemist who was an atheist, now a Christian. Uh, will be talking to us about science atheism. That's on the 23rd of July, I think. It's lined up on our channel. Check it out and uh, set a reminder. Otherwise, every Friday, I'll be setting up some short snippets of these conversations and uh, they will trickle through the YouTubes. Um, cool. Dan, have I missed anything? No, it sounds good. Yeah, just thank you, Andy. Really nice chatting with you. And uh, we'll, have, we'll have to do it again soon. Yeah. yeah. Bless you. Cool. God bless. Are you not entertained? Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear, please do give us a subscribe on YouTube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch, let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on patreon.com.